happy moment. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Giant Monster Groupie Podcast. I am joined once again by my very good friend, Henry. Uh, And I'm not going to steal his thunder this time because I did that in the last episode, episode four. Henry, the host, hates kaiju. Go listen to it. It's a lot of fun. But Henry, how are you doing? I'm here. I'm present. I'm here, everybody. It's me, Henry the Host. I do a podcast called It Came From a Monster Movie. You might have heard of me. If not, you've probably seen my tweets talking about how this community is weird. Anyway, back to you, Michael. Well, we had so much fun last time. I really wanted to have you back. You have the you have the very proud distinction of being the first returning guest on my show, uh, and it's for good reason. It's it for a very good reason because good we're reason. gonna we're gonna talk about your baby, your pet project, Apex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to devote as much time to Apex as we possibly can. Um, if you want to know more about Henry. And his background and what he's all about. Go listen to episode four of this podcast. We go into full detail, full, uncomfortable, hilarious detail about all things Henry the host and what he's into. Uh, if you want a little bit of background on Henry. So I want to start by asking you, Henry, the fandom has gone through some changes. Yeah. Yeah. And Can for we the curse? For be- because I have for, a line for, for this. <laughs> in a second, in a second. All right. Um, for better or for worse, the fam the fandom has gone through some changes in the last uh, probably three or four, how long has it been? Like three or four weeks or so? Yeah, you know, I was talking to my friend the other day. You might know him. His first name's uh, No, and his last name is Shit Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he and I were talking about it quite adamantly the other day, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But no, in all in, in all seriousness, the fandom has gone through some really interesting changes over the last several months. And uh, a lot of the conversation that I'm hearing, at least the, the constructive parts of the conversation, because I, tr- I try, I don't necessarily listen to the overly toxic parts of the conversation. Like constructive conversation. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. This okay. Okay. Call it. But there, there is constructive conversation it's out there. there. No, it's I there, but it's it's very few and far between. I agree. Um, but you know, I have heard you and and actually a few others. You're not the only one who said this, but you are the 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 loud and proud champion of this as to why we need something brand new in the fandom, given the fact that you know we are getting new stuff, but it's, it feels like it's rehashing old stuff and, and repackaging it as new stuff. It's there's, there's very rare. There's very uh, little brand spanking, shiny new stuff within the fandom. And I think that's where our conversation is going to be super helpful for folks because you are, you actually are embarking on something totally brand new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's just like, 
I didn't realize it how much I was feeling this emotion until uh, the Godzilla Singularity announcement was for the new upcoming anime. And mm-hmm. I just was like, everybody's automatically hashtagging like better than already better than the Netflix anime trilogy, which I've like slowly, but started to realize that might actually be my favorite addition to the Godzilla franchise of all time. Cause I've been lately just like when in doubt, I'm just watching the trilogy like over and over again. And I'm just like, Oh, uh, it's probably because it's just so like my, I was in New York recently visiting family and my brother, my youngest brother watched some of it with me and he didn't know it was a Godzilla movie until the credits came up. And he was like, I don't understand how this is a Godzilla film. And I'm like, because they decided to take the formula, put it in a box, fill that box with rocks and just shake it up and hope to God that whatever came out of the box after this process survived. Uh, and I think it did. And, you know, uh, it was one of our first, like, you know, Planet Eater was our first ever A for the podcast. Um, I really applaud Alex and Eric on Monster vs. Men for um, shining more of a positive light and spin on that series. Um, but with Singularity, everybody started being like, oh, I can't wait. All these monsters, I hope, show up. And, like, it's going to be about the monsters. And I'm like, have you seen the picture of the human cast? It's like... 20 people everybody's mm-hmm. complaining mm-hmm. about not enough monster too many humans but this is just 20 people and it's probably as i've been known to say it honestly i think godzilla singularity is just going to be the anime tokyo sinks with godzilla and probably sprinkle sprinkle in some of like sss Gridman uh mm-hmm. kind of style and fan servicing um mm-hmm. it's just like the market, you know, for I haven't seen it yet, but have you heard about uh, Love and Monsters, Michael? I, I have. Uh, it is rented. It is ready to go. I'm just trying to find a, a good moment to watch it. Have you heard how that went? Because on Rotten Tomatoes, it has like a 96% critic score. No, sorry. It's a 90% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's a 96 audience score i believe last time i checked i have not okay i have i have purposely not watched or listened to seen any material on the movie because i want to go in blind right uh i've only watched the trailer i know the i know our friends at uh tokyo lives they've already put out a bonus episode about uh love and monsters i haven't listened to that yet because i want to go in with no expectations whatsoever right no and i get that i'm just i'm just pointing that out for listeners and i'm sorry that right splooge splooge that's not the word i wanted to use but here we go i'm using splooge to describe the adverb here we go here we go here we go but um I feel bad because you're going to have to transcribe this later when we talk about the other parts about this interview. Um, But, oh, sorry. It's interesting because it's like that is, I mean, I sit here being like for a minute, I for a hot minute, I thought it was uh, an adaptation of the graphic novel Gigantic, which is also about a giant monster apocalypse, but not with the mm-hmm. romance story. Um but there are lots of really good uh, original giant monster stories, but they get so 
they get so outshined by Godzilla and like, you know, I almost sit here being like, I'm happy for the Arrow box set of Gamera and releasing the comics because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just nice to see it's not all Godzilla. Like the world of giant monsters is so weird and bizarre and outlandish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, I, it's like I my big complaint with collecting Godzilla toys is just like, you know, I look around the room and automatically I see my Godzilla, uh, night King Kong versus Godzilla NECA. I have my, uh, 1954 vinyl. I have my Shin Godzilla monster arts and I have my millennium Godzilla monster arts, but then I see my Gigan monster arts. And it's just like kind of sad to think that like, I'm such a Godzilla fan and there's such a diverse world of monsters in Godzilla, but in eyesight, I already could list more. I have, there are more figures of just Godzilla than other monsters. And then it's mm-hmm. just as annoying. Cause of course the other monsters are more expensive toys. And I'm just like, I don't understand this because mm-hmm. Godzilla is great. And as right. many people know, I'm, I'm more of a Gamera fan than anything, but even then Gamera, Gamera who Gamera, the turtle who? he's as I love to describe it, a giant flying turtle built by Atlantis <laughs> and <laughs> breathes fire and is the protector of children and the universe. And most people who have no idea what I'm talking about, like that cannot be a movie. And I'm like, it is all of it. <laughs> Every last bit of it. I can't Every make this up. Like, you know, and that's the thing though, because like, mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. I respect Godzilla's nuclear allegory, um, and, but you know, people, just automatically um hold on i'm like distracting myself because i'm trying to like name drop this graphic novel that's like really 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 good uh for giant monsters but uh, no you're fine you're you're fine and what i was gonna say was i'm i'm extremely happy that what we've been getting so far right i'm 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 loving the fact that you know gamera is getting the recognition that he deserves i think yes uh because it's an unfit because for years outside of just mystery science theater and some other um uh, other avenues haven't really gotten a whole lot of Gamera in the last few years outside of maybe a few toys or uh, re- or, re- or uh, vinyl kits or something like that uh, out of Japan. Um, so I'm ex- so when the Gamera box set was announced, I was extremely happy. Although I admittedly I'm not as familiar with I was not as familiar with Gamera as I was Godzilla. I'm not as big a fan of Gamera as I am Godzilla, but. I watched all of the movies uh, within a few days after receiving that box set. And still Gamera is not my favorite monster. He's not my favorite Kaiju, but I still appreciate and respect uh, what Daye was trying to do with yeah. it. Like it's an, it's a good alternative. If you're looking for a, a solid alternative to Godzilla, if you're bored with Godzilla, try Gamera. Yeah. Uh, and then if you, when you're, and then when you're done with Gamera, go try some Ultraman. So uh, yeah, for sure. And uh, the name dropping graphic novel I would like people to check out is called Giants. It's by the uh, Valderrama brothers. Um, they actually follow me on Instagram. They're really nice. Um, but it's pretty much like a dystopian post-apocalyptic future uh, where like two kids from like rival gangs are trying to like survive in this world of monsters. And it's like, and it's just so cool, but it's so sad because. There's mm-hmm. all these like really great original content. I mean, 
Lisa Nassinger's doing Taking Back Toku, and like mm-hmm. Kaiju Hime yep. has original projects. I have original projects. People have all these amazing original projects. But mm-hmm. what do more people freak out about is like, and I'm not bashing those who do this because I do respect what you do. Right. But we do not need any more Godzilla fan films. Well, like not, I'm not trying to say this as a, a, aggressively or whatever, but I like look at some of these things and they're amazing, like mm-hmm. amazing animations, amazing work. I mean, but I sit here being like, why, why not use this to make something new? Like instead of doing, and I'm, I mean, I guess maybe with some of it might be the rigs and all that jazz, but I'm just like, why as fans do we mm-hmm. put so much effort in paying tribute to what we love when I sit here being like, as a creator, my love for all this stuff just makes me want to make something and add to this pantheon of right. stuff and not just like retread or rework what's already there. And like, there are some people who are doing really cool, ambitious fan projects for right. Godzilla, but I sit here being like, you have such a talent. Why, why use that talent to add to something, a market and an audience that's already there. Cause like when I came back from Korea I went to uh, Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. and I sat in on a, like a how to pitch your comics, how to get them published seminar being hosted by a guy that used to like run Marvel pretty much. Mm-hmm. And what was really sad was he was like, I'm sure he actually asked people like, who is here wanting to write a story for an already property? Some people wrote their wrote their wrote their hand, ugh, raised words today raised their hands and then he said uh who here has original concepts and me and a few others raised our hands and he says i hate to tell you guys this but those who are here to like write for iron man or write for spider-man or batman or those already named brands you are more likely to get picked as a writer with Mm -hmm. a story than you would be if you were doing something original and i asked him why and it's like companies now will not touch new properties unless there's already a fan base. And that just makes me uncomfortable, you know? It, it's a sort of a risk assessment. Yeah. Like it's sort of a risk assessment, right? It's um, coming from the perspective, trying to, trying to view it through the lens of a, of a creator, say someone who's developing their own, I don't know, Godzilla comic or original Godzilla content. Cause there are some really fantastic artists out there that are very prominent within the fandom that are doing things like that. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like I'm not, like I'm not trying to say that they're lazy. I'm not trying to say that at all because please hear me when I say this, you people who do that are not lazy. They're extremely no, talented. They're people. super talented. Right. But I'm wondering if it's not just the fact that it's easier to readapt or reimagine an already existing property than trying to come up with something from scratch. Well, you know, as as the horrible tune that we're all starting to really realize these days is it's always about money and mm. people would rather stay safe on something they know they can make money off of than right. take a gamble and do something like, you know. I'm laughing 
because today of the recording, uh, Hulu released the trailer for the Animaniacs reboot. And the reboot, the trailer literally starts off with like Yakko saying like, reboots are plaguing uh, Hollywood uh, today because there's a lack of originality. And mm-hmm. then it like the camera pans out and they're all wearing Hulu merchandise. Um, <laughs> and then like Hulu gives them like the $2 million check to reboot Animaniacs, you sellouts. And it's, it's really funny because, and like, I laugh because that's kind of the truth. Like everyone kind of understands this like weird, awkward awareness that um, if you were doing something original, you're not, it's going to be tough. But then if you do something like brand new, then you, you will get traction, but it's a slow and steady process. And like, what's really annoying with my whole story. And you can ask me more questions uh, about it is like, I have been working on apex since the ninth, since ninth grade, but even apex's origins wasn't originally an original concept. It was going to be like, a fan fiction Godzilla comic. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about the process of how this series evolved over the countless years I've been putting work into it. But right. like, I can't ignore the fact that, you know, originally it was going to be this like Godzilla web comic. And then I learned what copyright is. And then I learned about <laughs> how Toho is just like an absolute stickler. If they ever find out you're making money off their product in some way or form. Um, right, you know, rest they're in just, peace, Godzilla Heritage. They're Oops. just uh, they're a a hammer in search of a nail. They're just they're just looking for well because to they want to keep their money, right? You know, they want to make sure, you know, and that's and the sad truth is that is how like most people are, right? And yeah. you know, and I actually give mad props. I'd um, you know, and this also again is just a nice little antidote. You've seen Colossal, correct, Michael? I have seen parts of Colossal. I fell asleep halfway through. Well, that sounds right up your, that sounds right about you. But, um, what, (laughs) sorry, that was, it's okay. That's fair. Well, one, I would really give it another go go around, but did you hear about the little, uh, debacle it had? Like the reason why people knew about Colossal. Have you ever heard this story? I've not recent. No, I've not dug deep enough into the 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 behind the scenes so story of the movie. When no. the director like pitched Colossal, the mm-hmm. poster was Anne Hathaway, photoshopped with like the Godzilla 2014 poster with Godzilla 2014 in it, fighting okay. like a photoshopped Optimus Prime. Okay, and. The only reason why I learned about Colossal was because of the lawsuit Toho had because they thought Colossal was going to be this like unmade was going to be this like American God's unlicensed American Godzilla film. But the director was like, oh, no, that's not what the monster looks like. It's just a placeholder to kind of like represent the concept we're trying to do with this movie. Um, And I just thought that was really smart because he was able to like literally sneak in an original concept by causing a lawsuit with Toho so that way everybody can learn about it. Um, then he quit then he quickly backed off of and then he got the free po- he got the free press for it, which if you think about it, it's, it's kind of brilliant. No, it's a it's a super smart thing because Colossal is a very original, unique way to look 
into the giant monster series in a Mm. lens that is very unconventional for the genre. And you know, while at the same time also paying huge homage to the genre, because it's like what every person who loves this brand wants to be able to be a giant monster. So it's just like a very, like, I really like that kind of stuff and seeing original stuff and people might be saying like, Oh, well, what about Pacific Rim? Pacific Rim is a giant robot series starters. And two, like that was built from the skeletons of the Evangelion live action film that never came to pass. Um, You know, it's, it's just like the sad truth of things. Which it's also your favorite uh, Pacific Rim is also your favorite uh, kaiju movie. Oh right? yeah, all time favorite film thing. Sure, <laughs> yeah, love right. it. Right up there with the host as your favorite kaiju movie. Yeah. Yes. Well, okay. But the host is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> the host is a good film, and technically, the host is more of a kaiju film than Pacific Rim because if we look at the Japanese etymology for kaiju, it's just a strange piece, and that's what the host is. And then in Korean, it's called guamo because that's the Korean word for kaiju, which is monster. Isn't it funny? So technically, you're saying, like, if you say kaiju monster, you're just saying monster twice and looking like an idiot. Anyway, uh, let's ask some productive questions about Apex. <laughs> I just wanted to I just wanted to pick on you a little bit, Henry. And if you notice when I did the intro to this show, I said giant monster. Oh, I know you just did, did what Elijah did. But now do I have to ask if you're a changeling? Because I'm not in the mood for that. Whole thing. I can conf- I can confirm that I am not a changeling. I, I do not. I do not go and venture off into deep, dark woods by myself. Uh, that is not something that that is in. You my- do talk to deer, though. I do talk to deer. Uh, only when they show up at my house and won't go away. Um, and then I feed them apples and grapes. And uh, Well, that's because you're and- feeding wild animals. <laughs> <laughs> they view you as an easy mark. <laughs> Jeez. We're getting we're getting way off track here, people. I'm so sorry. But um Henry, let's okay, let's start from the very let's start from the very beginning. I want you to tell the folks what exactly is Apex. Apex is a original giant monster series that starts off in the year 2012 based on uh, where, as some people might have remembered, 2012 was supposed to be a big deal, um, mostly because, well, sorry, it's not 2012 it starts in. I'm tired. Like I said, it's 2013 when the series starts um, because the world changed because the Mayan prophecy was that the world would change, which it in real life it did. Things got really interesting after 2013. But um it's just pretty much one day creatures start showing up. These giant monsters just start appearing all around the globe in weird ways, in ways unknown to science. And the story is just a very you know, I don't want to say like super realistic way of handling it. But it is exploring the idea of how wacky this genre can be, how interesting this genre can be, and also kind of trying to make it as believable as possible in a way that isn't really ever explored in this genre, which is simply these things, if they existed, would change 
everything. And humanity right. would be such, you know, it, I don't go so far as dystopian future because I do have the belief we would be okay. Because also these mm -hmm. things become more like hurricanes, um, mm -hmm. natural disasters that just walk around. Uh, and it's just, you know, and it becomes a bigger and bigger story and it pays homage to like how this genre goes while also doing some new ideas and concepts. Um, it has, it will have a very unique cast of human characters from various backgrounds and it'll be told from various, uh, points of interest. Um, and then with my weird scientific background and access to the scientific community, um, a lot of like real science is used in the DNA to make this series kind of something we haven't seen before mm. um, so much. So, and like all the monsters are my own design. Um, the latest draft, which is the draft that's going to be published, which is apex um, already has. Um, Cause I've, there are three eras to this series, uh, which is Genesis Exodus and revelations. Uh, mm -hmm. And it already had, I already have a count of like about 170 different designs and creatures uh, that appear. And that's just the giant monsters. Cause there will also explore like subspecies and how these things become ecosystems. Um, and just a lot of things you wouldn't normally really think about. There's bio debris. Um, there's cultural phenomenon. Uh, there's changes in religion changes in science it's just going to be a lot and then there's this huge overarching story because the big question of this story is like why do the monsters show up and there right. isn't you don't and you know listeners you will not find out why the monsters exist until the very end of the series and it's actually like something i'm really really proud of uh mm -hmm. how this series concludes because uh I will. I, the closest thing I'll say to it is the finale of Apex is a love letter to the movie that started it all of why I wanted to make this large cast of giant monsters is destroy all monsters. Um, and mm. it has a very destroy all monsters finale. I will. Okay. I will say that much about it, to be honest. OK, well, something I'm I'm I heard you say just a second ago is um because I, I want to expand a little bit on the concept of, you know, if, if a giant monster was to come like, or one giant monster or multiple giant monsters or a species of one single organ or one single being, one single organism, whatever is discovered and, and is living among us. <clears throat> one thing that I noticed does not get touched on in your traditional giant monster movie is how, like how, a, how a giant creature like this would affect society. Right. Cause right. like it, sometimes they'll touch on it. Like, you know, the, the stock markets will crash or world governments will go into chaos. I know the, um, in, uh, Astro monster, you get a little bit of that. Um, but one thing that I, that I'm, I'm, it's, and it seems like a really silly, I don't know if it's silly or, or what, but I can see a world where there's monsters and they've been around for a while and we have to coexist with them and they do change the way we look at things like nature and whatnot. But we're also, they also change the way we do, the way we interact and, and, and live, live day to day life, right? Cause I can see, um, like you said, new religions being established because for some, because we're humans and we, and if we don't have an, if we're already not grounded in a strong faith, uh, we tend to latch on to something, you know, that we can 
sort sort of believe no, in. So that's t- where you, yeah. Um, and just to touch on that train of thought, Michael, because you might find this very interesting. Um, because of course, the biggest question is also like, where have these monsters been? Like, why have they not been recorded? Um, if they do eventually find like records that it is like a cycle in a mm-hmm. sense. Um, but it's really funny because I do this one story arc where it happens in the Vatican, where like these two monsters just like go nuts in Italy. Um, and in the aftermath, like that, you know, top secret Vatican library that's underneath everything is exposed and people are like accessing it and trying to recover it. And they discover like all this like hidden history because think about it when the Christians appeared, uh, you know, Christianity, as many people know or should know is that Christianity is a hodgepodge of a religion. It's got different aspects from Judaism and pagan religions and all sorts of stuff because they, you know, Christians were like, oh man, everybody already believes in these gods and all this stuff. Like, how do we make ourselves unique? And, you know, they had their beliefs and they're like, oh, what if we took the pagan winter solstice festivals and then just like made it Christmas, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, And something that is explored is eventually like people start realizing like some of these AOs, which are is short for apex organism. um, The AO, some people are like, isn't this AO like the deity for this pagan religion? And then it's like revealed that like, because it was in dormancy and the Christians came in, like they didn't believe it and hid the truth in per se. So some people start questioning because we are a species of like, if you see it, you believe it. Mm. Um, and, and in this world, Christianity had to go against religions that actually had these like living creatures being worshipped as gods. But when they went into their hibernation, that's when they were able to be like, oh, no, that was just a statue or it was a fossil that you guys had or a skeleton. Like there was no giant like underground being, um, which is a whole other ecosystem and stuff. Um, and it's just like very fascinating because also like, you know, Michael, I don't know if you know the science for uh, size, but like an animal the size of Godzilla, if it left the water, it would collapse under its own weight and die a horrible beach well death. Yeah, that we've I um, a friend of the a friend of Travis and I, he said we've had him on Kaiju Weekly before Sam Perrin. Uh, he runs a podcast called uh, Cinematic Animalia. And he oh, kind of a great show. You put me on. To that. Yeah. Yeah, he um he explores the ecology and biology of these creatures and that's sort of what he was telling us um when he did our Kong Skull Island episode was um, a beast the size of Kong or a, a size of Godzilla would have a very difficult time surviving in our current climate and our and just being on land at all because he is so massive. Yeah, no, I listened to their episodes on Kong Skull Island. And I liked hearing like, yeah, if Kong ran, he would just like break. <laughs> but that's the thing I explore where it's like, you know, in the first, in the pilot, we're introduced to Tyrannus, who appears mm-hmm. in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Tyrannus is walking out of the ocean already defies everything that we should know about physics. Like it already puts everything we know about conventional science 
as incorrect. Like every formula, every kind of strategic idea that we have is just scrubbed because here we are in this natural world with something that is not like man-made is not of a higher design, but it's just an animal that defies that logic. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, it's just super fascinating to like really try and go into the idea of like, if a true scientist saw this thing that they would just be like, not terrified for their lives, but they would just be having like a brain aneurysm because everything you've studied in school is now like out like history, religion, science, just everything is just out the window and wrong. Um, And I think that's not fully ever truly explored in this genre because everybody just seems very like, oh yeah, this is a thing. Like monsters exist. Like there they are. Done. Done dealio. That's why I like Kong's Island, because I felt like their reaction was yeah. genuine of being like, what's going on? Like And the- I think I think this I think these concepts of, you know, these monsters already in existence, we're just trying to cover like a like a government conspiracy is something that they're trying to do with the current legendary series with the monsterverse. But I don't know if they're gonna be able to really make it believable or not right um so i'm 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 really interested to see what they do in godzilla versus kong because i'm assuming that we're going to get some kind of time they're going to get some kind of time skip where um you, the the events of the battle in boston of tal ta- have now taken place godzilla has been crowned king you know there's all these other co- there's all these other monsters around the uh around the world now and we have to figure out what to do and how to coexist and that's and it goes back to what i was trying to say before was i can see a world where you know monsters exist and we're using their uh, uh droppings as fuel yeah. right because because they're nitrogen rich or, or some kind of chemical in their in their droppings that is useful to us and i can see that happening i can see the existence of a giant monster being both a detriment and actually a blessing because now it brings in uh maybe new scientific developments and what i was going to ask you is there things like that addressed in apex in yes. the apex saga um it's actually really funny that you brought this up because I had a feeling you might ask this question and I was thinking like, oh, you know what aspect I've not really explored with Tyrannus is like what his droppings would be like. And then I just spent way too much time learning about penguin poop because uh, that would be like the closest thing to what probably Tyrannus would do. Um, and now I'm like debating whether like that should be explored in his aftermath um, mm. and whatnot because like Tyrannus has a very fish-based diet uh, mm-hmm. and all that jazz, much like a penguin does. Sure. Um, so I'm trying to use real animals, but also like there's a AO called Zots. Um, Zots is the first mutation apex mm-hmm. organism. Pretty much this is like my theory on what the chupacabra is come to life um, right. as a government experiment from Puerto Rico and it got out and now, and like, and then it suddenly mutates into this large, like primal monster uh, that just like hunts humans. And I will say like, guys, I don't hold punches in this series. I kill a lot of people in this series. (laughs) Like, because the thing is like the true reality of it. And like, I find I'm laughing because like last night I was 
like joking, well, not joking, just making my commentary on The Walking Dead being like, it's not about zombies. It's just about how awful people are. And then like someone you really like gets horribly murdered or eaten or Mm -hmm. whatever. But like in this series, I feel like I go a little differently in that thing where it's not just like, it's not, it's not senseless killing because like Zots Mm -hmm. is a predator and humans are everywhere. It is a viable food source. Um, But what's very interesting about Zots is with him being a mutation with the chemical that increased his size because he was already a crazy genetic hybrid. And I really go into like some fun cold world fringe science and stuff, cold war fringe science and stuff. But um, what they eventually find out is Zots pretty much creates an entire subclass of mutation organisms called Z mutations, um, which is pretty much like animals that eat or scavenge off anything that Zots eats or Zots like poop or whatever. If they consume that, the next generation has Zots DNA in it. So then all of a sudden you have these like mutated coyotes that are like the size of a man that are being led by two alpha AO level. Uh, they're called Koizo. Um, and like, there's a female one and then there's a male and they are like a mixed match of different traits of Zots. Um, there's species of vultures that ter- are Zots mutations. I even go into a fact that like when Zots was uh, swimming through the, uh, cause Zots is uh, first sighted in the Bahamas um, mm. uh, and caused uh, uh quite a massacre on Andros uh, and did a lot of damage to NASA before diving into uh, the Atlantic to swim to Florida and eat a lot more people in Miami. But like, um, you know, as he was going in the Atlantic and his blood from bullet wounds was leaking into the water, like he starts mutating different types of fish and, uh, marine species so like you pretty much he like creates this cr- destructive force pretty much creates these organisms and there like there is an undertone of why this exists like this trope exists at all uh and we'll uh-huh. talk about that more uh, later on but like sure it's very fascinating because like his pure existence is already changing the ecology of the american continent in a way that explores like invasive species which are a real problem that we're having these days um so it's just like and pretty much eventually he there's an era in apex where like zots literally has what is known as the pack which is just like him the two coyote aos and the giant two-headed flying vulture ao that just like hunt together as a pack and like decimate cities and you know do no good. They do no good until the infamous battle of Gavelston where Zots and these monsters fight Tyrannus and Stegeros, which are the first two AOs to appear in the series. Interesting because I know you, I think, I think you shared with me. You, I know you shared with me. I take that back. You shared with me a, a, a very extensive field guide. Yes. Uh, I admittedly do not have time. I did not have time to, to, to look through every, to, to look through everything um, because there is a lot there. There is, there is. <clears throat> you have what, what, what did you tell me? You have over 600, uh, 600 different species now. Uh, 
At the moment, there are over 170 in wave one. Um, there are, I believe, uh, 27. Um, but technically, okay. it's 39 because that 27 is not including the uh, different forms. And because, uh, like, some of these animals appear and they're actually like families of these giants um, or like whole species. Like, there's a, a, a mutated silkworm. Uh, born from uh, napalm, actually, from Vietnam. It was like a silkworm that ate napalm-soaked plants. And over time, this species, like, mutated uh, into these, like, giant things called Luna larvae. Um, and they, like, run amok in, uh, in Hong Kong. Um, but, like, these mutations just like there are hundreds of them they're just like all over they pretty much turn hong kong into this like web encrusted napalm laced city um and then tyrannus shows up uh and that's always fun now how much of these creatures how many of like how much of these creatures were are mutations either by government means or some or just by accident or, or whatever. And how many of them are ancient? Like how many of them have so, been? A, so there are, ahead. uh, four classes of AOs. Mm-hmm. There are okay, natural a- AOs, which are okay. examples of gigantism. Tyrannus is a natural AO. He is a sure. gigantic form of prehistoric megafauna. He is a Henosaurid descendant. For those playing the okay. home game, uh, my first dinosaur dig I ever d- went on, we actually did. I did find an unidentified theropod fossil um, that was unlike anything that anyone had seen. Um, mm. That poor thing is probably just like locked up in the University of Montana. It's just like rubbish. Uh, but uh, I called it a Dinkosaurus uh, because growing up, I was called Henryosaurus. That was actually a game we used to play. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually created a lineage of dinosaurs called the Henosaurids, um, which are pretty much this like, as you probably know, T Rex has two fingers, right? Right. Tyrannus's family is a offshoot of the Tyrannosaurids, where they retained their three finger, like the three fingers, but their third digit became thumb-like, uh, and okay. they kept the longer arms. Uh, their design is much more inclined with uh, one of the earliest Tyrannosaurid uh, ancestors, which is Guanlong. Um, and if you look that animal up, you'll see that Guanlong and Tyrannus have a lot of similarities because Tyrannus is supposed to be the offshoot of, like, Guanlong is their common ancestor. But yeah. the Henosaurids became semi-aquatic and the Tyrannosaurids became uh, strictly terrestrial. Um, right. So that's where that goes. Um, there are also... Uh, mutation AOs. So they are anything from genetic experiments to there is a, an event in the series that happens in the Pacific mm-hmm. um, called the cradle incident. So there is a, cause I love this trope. I cannot escape this trope, but there is a company as there always is. There right. is a conglomerate known as cradle, okay. uh, which I think is a great name for a company because their slogan is uh cradle. We nurture, uh, yeah, cannot talk. We nurture future ideas. 
Um, they're like a tech in, uh, tech company that was made uh, during the Cold War. Uh, they eventually got their hands into everything from like weapons development to construction to uh, food to all sorts of stuff. And they have an isotope that they made, which was going to help solve world hunger by mm. making plants bigger. But there's an incident in the Bering Strait where the tanker that had this experimental isotope in it uh, was boarded by eco-terrorists called the Hand of Gaia. And due to an accident, this isotope like leaks into the Pacific and thus like all the, it's like weird mercury poisoning where mm-hmm. animals that ingest other animals that have this isotope in them start to mutate over time. So the Pacific becomes this like hotbed of crazy marine species. You get a thing called like Scylla, who is a giant flying sea wasp. Um, for those playing the home game, a box jellyfish. Uh, okay. Pretty much like it has eyes because box jellyfish have eyes terrifyingly enough, but it has this like unique organ that uh, inhales it like sucks in air to inflate its medusa so it could hunt on land. Uh, and like when it's first appeared, they think it's UFOs because <laughs> it's like straight up abducting people, but they don't come back because it's a giant jellyfish and it's eating people. But then you have the antiquity AOs. Uh, which I think you might find very interesting. So in Apex, they discover, because I love this theory so much. I mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I was on board with the MonsterVerse, uh, because they were like, Hollow Earth Theory. And I'm like, that's the best. I love it. It's the best. <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than people thinking that Journey to the Center of the Earth is not a fiction, but like a journal of a real scientific expedition. Right. Um, but I explore this because I I love Hollow Earth. I can't avoid writing a love letter to Hollow Earth. And one of my mm. favorite creature features of all time is a movie called The Cave. Are you familiar with that? I am familiar with The Cave, yes. Yeah. So as you might remember, in The Cave, one of the plot devices was like there was a unique like cellular mutation that made these animals adapt to living underground. But in uh, Apex, this area, which is all around the globe, is called uh, the Hollow World uh, Mm. because it's pretty much these like pockets of isolated underground ecosystems where this thing, which is also like in tribute to the land that time forgot, called Mythocyte. So Mythocyte is this like cellular protein that when in, ingested by an, a species, an animal, an individual, mm-hmm. um, it atta- it's, it's kind of viral, but it pretty much attacks your DNA and alters it. But instead of like crazy alterations, what it does is it increases size, obviously. Would it be a giant monster series if it didn't? But right. um, it starts like reworking your DNA to create hopeful monster theory. Are you familiar with this evolutionary theory? I vaguely, yes. So for the listeners, so there's an evolutionary biologist named Henry Gottschmidt, and he Mm -hmm. came up with a theory called hopeful monsters, which is the idea that while evolution is a process of gradual 
you know, adaptation, sometimes in a generation, you might have an offspring of a creature that is radically different. Pretty much like a great way to describe it is um, if one day a monkey was born uh, with like aquatic features just out of the blue, because it's like nature trying to see like, are we ready to send them into the water yet? Like, I want to kind of see if they are ready for it. But since this specimen is so uniquely different, it doesn't work. So that's why it's a hopeful monster. But in Apex, this theory is expanded on where it creates whole species. And then they pretty much find all these like ecosystems that have like relic animals from like Mm -hmm. bygone eras that have evolved over time. And they all have mythocyte in them. Um, and eventually like mythocyte, they figure out what mythocyte is, which is a big revelation. Hence why it's that reveal is in revelations. Sure. uh, Revelations era. But like, and then we have Atlas AOs, which are Atlas is the United Nations task force on the study and defense of against the AOs. Um, It's an international uh, cooperative effort. Um, and Atlas AOs are the mechs or large weapons that they use. And like when I say large, do not think I have made like a Jaeger. Um, the mobile suit, which is called the MGAV, which is the mobile golem assault vehicle, uh-huh. is no bigger than I think like 15 feet tall. Um, okay. Pretty much it's like a mobile suit uh, that grapples monsters it's kind i use the dynamics of like uh knights fighting dragons like knights are always so much smaller than dragons but they beat dragons it's like right and then i've been playing monster hunter recently and i'm like oh this like here's another great example it's just monster hunter but you're in a robot suit fighting giant animals um okay and then the last ao class is the extraterrestrials um because we do eventually get alien species in this series and they're of course fun um the there's a whole alien plot that shows up in the exodus era of apex and it's super fun to write uh just because i love it i think i sent you a design of the ultra terrestrials which are the aliens that invade the planet i, I believe you i believe you did now if, if you would ask me what you named it i don't remember i called it ultra terrestrials it's just high school henry logic being like well people call them extra but what if i made them ultra uh and i'm just stuck with it i'm just stuck. like i'm like no i can't ignore it it's they're the ultra terrestrials because it, again it's just a good name like it's paying tribute but it's slightly tweaked I would have went with mega terrestrials. I just feel like that sounds well, better. Well, that makes but... them sound big. Ultra terrestrials yeah. make them sound. Well, I also sit here with my bias because um, this series, like all the things we're talking about is a very surface level look right. at this series. And not like, because if you uh, have, I told you what inspired all this besides the uh, fan fiction. You've told me now. I'm going to get, we're going to get to that. We're okay. going to get to that. Cause I, I do want you to kind of go through, uh, what inspired you to do this in the first place, because it is a, it is a lifetime almost of love that you've put in. Well, I wouldn't say lifetime. It's, it's over a decade of love that you put in. I was this. in ninth grade. 
that I was okay. years and years and years ago. Like, right. You know, when the, it was ninth grade. Well, I say ninth grade is when I made Tyrannus, but I actually found a design of Tyrannus when I didn't know how to spell well. So I spelt Tyrannus with an I instead of a Y. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a drawing I did in when I was like 10. Um, and right. it made me laugh when I found it because I'm like, oh, it's literally almost the same thing. Um, and then, you know, it's gone crazy from there. Yeah, I do want now we have to, we've talked a lot about the monsters or the creatures, whatever you want to call them. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the human characters because Apex is a story. It is and yes. to have a good to have a good monster story. You have to have really good human characters, whether they be protagonists or antagonists. So let I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about them for a few minutes. So yeah. who's in like what type of human characters? What what archetypes are you going to be exploring with a with Apex? So we will do all of it like all of it. But at the same time, I'm trying not to make it very tropey. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, Rick Winston is kind of our main character. Like, and I sit here being like, Rick Winston, as much as the main character as Tyrannus is, um, right. because something that has always made me uncomfortable with like the Godzilla series is like, Godzilla is always the main focus, but there are so many other monsters that have, dare I say, more interesting stories. Um, right. In some films. So like Tyrannus is there, but like while he might play the, like some people might think he plays the Godzilla of this series. He's more of the Gamera where he just like kind of will show up. But most of the time people are focused on the other monsters, not really that monster in general. It's like Gamera is all about Iris, but with the human characters like Rick was there and we're intro- the day. we're introduced we're introduced to Rick very early on yes I remember reading I remember reading the pilot and it's literally like two lines in we're introduced to Rick now he's called like he's we don't know his name until maybe like page two or three yes. when he, he but he's just referred to as the American, the American. yes yeah. so Rick Winston is a character who is very near and dear to me um, I will totally admit that in the earliest drafts, he was just Nick Totopoulos from Godzilla 1998 and Godzilla the series. Like, okay, hands down. Because, But then I was sitting here like, I'm kind of tired of the fact that our main characters are always the people who just happen to know what to do um, and are okay with it. To be the know-it-all being like, oh, every theory I have about this monster is correct. Right. And Rick has been like that until very recently where I sat there as I've grown older. Because in the Mm -hmm. earliest drafts, how this story happens is Rick is one of the few survivors of the discovery of Tyrannus, which takes away his father. Uh, In this latest draft, now it's Tyrannus takes both his parents away. Right, Um, it does. Yes. And... I kind of sat there being like, that would be dramatic. And now that I understand what trauma is like, I start really exploring that. And what's even more interesting is over time, Rick will learn that the discovery of Tyrannus was not an accident. uh, And that his knowledge, because Rick's an evolutionary biologist, (laughs) 
Uh, and it's referenced that like, since the time, as long as Rick has remembered, he's always been very involved in his parents' work. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this time of the story, Rick has like, the reason why this hits so hard is because Rick has just reconnected with his parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's got all these emotions and stuff. And then he finds out that like his parents might re- be solely responsible for unleashing Pandora's box onto the planet. Right. Um, and not just that, that like Rick starts to wonder if the reason why he knows what to do is simply because he was being sub unknowingly trained by his parents to get ready for the next wave of monsters. Um, There's a whole backstory that's explored and Rick really struggles with this Um, because what is his identity? I, I I find it really interesting because already uh, within the first few pages of the pilot, you know, you notice that Rick has some level of celebrity, whether that be through whether that be through his parents or or the name he's made for himself. Whereas in a lot of these stories, uh, these guys, the, these ladies and gentlemen that that seemingly quote unquote know what to do from the start are just sort of nobodies. Yes. Like they come they they come from just very either humble beginnings or strug they're struggling uh they're sl- they're just struggling at their job, they're struggling to get funding, whatever. Uh but it seems like, you know, Rick has some level of celebrity at this point. Yes. When all this is going down. Uh Rick is well known um and probably the more re- the reason why Rick is unknown, I'm not unknown, is known is and it's mentioned briefly in the pilot and I want this to be a bigger reveal than it is but it is something that I do want to talk about because I try my best to do a lot of representation in this series. Sure. Uh and we will eventually find out Rick is actually a trans man. Um which okay. is one of the reasons why like he makes the comment in the pilot like hey if people find out that I got arrested the moment I land it, it's going to look really bad because in Singapore, while they are accepting of the LGBT community, they do okay. have some issues with trans rights. Uh, okay. So like, that's a low key mention. I, and cause I actually called my friend who lives in Singapore and I was, while mm-hmm. I was writing Rick and I'm like, Hey, you have to tell me what the deal is because I'm trying to research it. But like, you know, I have people on the ground. And like mm-hmm. I've had my trans friends read Rick's character and really enjoy the okay. fact that I'm not doing what I think a lot of people do, which is kind of like move their spotlight on their character and look, say like scream, look representation like Rick, Rick, like it's not going to be like outright said that Rick is trans. Like I think yeah, it's su- it's yeah. subtle. It's, Subtle. I didn't pick up on it. I mean, uh, I just thought, honestly, in my head as I'm reading the pilot, I'm picturing sort of this rugged, uh, uh, not maybe overly masculine character, but masculine enough character. Uh, probably pretty good looking, pretty handsome fella. Uh, he's come. He comes from a fairly uh, well-known family, right? Yeah. Just sort of your, your stereotypical biologist scientist and, who happens to be a good leading man character. And you're totally correct on that, but that's also going to be like one of the things that leads a lot of tension for Rick in the series 
is that he will interact with characters who will not like because i always sit here being like why is the like we get in movies where like the general's like i'm not going to listen to the scientists because big guns but like there will be a point in the series where it's just like all right we got to listen to our scientists because these things are everywhere like Mm -hmm. everywhere we have to listen to the people who know what's going on and i was like but how am i going to keep having that friction for rick um and that's something that i kind of want to explore um whether that friction will stay in through the entire course of the series is to be said because the world will evolve and adapt to become hopefully a little better a little worse um but like honestly at this moment um i think the closest thing i'm going to say personally to reveal that rick is trans is mentioned that Rick has scars uh, on his chest in one scene. Okay. Like that might be the okay. closest nod I'll have until someone like flat out like addresses from the a, fact or misgender. From a him. double, from a double of a double mastectomy. Yeah. So okay. like, that's, that's the closest thing I'm going to be able to do. Cause like, and that's actually slightly referenced in the pilot because Rick's friend challenges Rick like you know your parents loved you and he you know he's very uncomfortable with it but he, uh his friend points out like your dad chose your happiness over the show um and that is supposed to reveal that like during the course of the show because like Rick was in this like nature documentary with his father when he was still Lily but as the show went on Rick soon became Rick and obviously this would have been like in the eighties. Right. So it would have been a bit of a controversy for this kid, sh- kid friendly show to see the kid representation go from a girl to who they truly are. And, you know, Rick's father chose Rick's happiness over the show, like would rather not do the show, which is his dream over like, his child's happiness. Like the, yeah. and that's something I really want to explore is like Rick's parents are not, they're not bad people, but he does soon learn that there is, there is a backstory that mm-hmm. makes him really uncomfortable because he starts realizing that like, he did not know as much about his parents work as he thought. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, like, uh, you know, a little bit of a spoiler, but when the first story because the pilot is just part one of the first story arc, um, which is the first event. But in the end, when Rick decides on a name for what we eventually know as Tyrannus, it's because Rick remembers, um, uh, remembers a time when he saw his father's work when he was a kid. And, uh, his father was looking at pictures of a creature like Tyrannus and Rick drew it and called it Tyrannus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it's supposed to come from. So like, right. and you know, and that makes them uncomfortable because it's like, I, I know what this is and I can't figure out why I know it. And then he like discovers more and more evidence that like his parents knew a lot more than they gave credit for. Um, they might have disturbed Tyrannus to the surface intentionally. Um, that will later become clearer, but there is like a, a conspiracy 
in this story that Rick will eventually learn. And then like, we will be introduced to other characters. Uh, there are some military figures who have histories with different monsters. Uh, there's one story arc that I cannot wait to do, which will introduce, um, <laughs> there's a extreme sports cryptid hunting web series in this universe called uh, Extreme <laughs> Cryptids. And, okay, uh, which sounds super appropriate because that falls into uh, what we were talking about earlier. Where not only will it, not only will these giant, not only will these creatures change sort of the way we look at the world, but they'll also change our inner. They'll also, well, I, I could see, well, they'll also change our entertainment too. Oh, for right? sure. But Extreme Cryptids was on, like in this world. Extreme Cryptids was on the air before all this went down because it's okay. my, it's my like jab at how i don't like how ghost hunters like yeah it's just yeah. like extreme sports aficionados going to exotic locales to do extreme sports oh. look for cryptids gotcha. but they go to the mongolian desert mm-hmm. and the gobi because their ratings are going down so they're going to try and prove the mongolian death worm to get their ratings up because people are like you guys are the worst cryptid hunters. You keep going to these places and not finding anything. Like we want to see monsters and you're just showing us cool stunts on like go-karts. Um, but when they go to Mongolia, they interact. They, they too eventually find the Mongolian death worm and much more uh, because their first interaction is not with what will be eventually known as Ologi, uh, with, mm. which is, a, do you know a bobbit worm? Have you ever seen a bobbit worm? Okay, are they the um, are they the, they're not the like the they're they're the white like furry worms. They're not the white no, furry worms. They're or- the they're like the polychaete worm that lives at, on the bottom of the ocean floor with giant <gasps> oh. horrible mandibles, and they're named after the lady who like cut off her partner's stuff. <laughs> um, they're they're vicious little buggers, but in this story, it's revealed that uh. Mongolian deathworms are actually giant mythosite evolution terrestrial worms, uh, bobbit worms, um, and they accidentally disturb it. Um, but why? But it's not the only thing they disturb. They also interact with a subspecies of an AO that's revealed to be called Bakarok, which is just pretty much this like hyper intelligent. Uh, powerful sea scorpion descendant from the hollow world. Like there's a whole eco, like these animals create these ecosystems and these people start interacting with them. There's like a story where uh, people will actually climb Stegeros and explore his back uh, to discover that he has an ecosystem of like animals that are his parasites kind of, uh, in it, but also like they find like deer and bears and like eagles in his fur forest because the fur has like mm-hmm. algae and stuff grow, uh, like right. uh, moss growing on it. So like, right. it's just all these people who have different backgrounds starting to appear and like, like I said, web like YouTube stars and stories of like people on the street because my whole thing with writing human characters is like my favorite way to write a human character is what I call uh, the bus effect, which Mm -hmm. is if you're sitting in a public place, like a bus or a subway 
or a plane right. or whatever. Like, and let's just stick with the bus. Like, you're on a bus. Think of all the kind of people that are on a bus. You're on the bus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everything's fine. And then a triceratops comes out of nowhere and smashes the bus. How does everybody react? Because you've got panic. some people with initial panic. You've got some people like me who would be like, that was a freaking triceratops. Like, what? Like, that's where my panic's coming from because I don't understand. So yeah. it's just different levels of how people would truly interact and like react to these things. And it does take time. Like um, America doesn't fully believe that the AOs are real until Zots like decimates Miami, even though mm-hmm. one of the first monsters to appear appeared in Salt Lake City mm-hmm. um, because the people think it's a stunt, like a movie stunt, like they don't know what's going on. So yeah. it's just interesting. Is this a uh, is this going to be sort of a, an apocalyptic event, like, or are we going to find that that world governments will adapt ways to deal with these threats? It it takes time. Um, it it teeters a bit. Um, right mm-hmm. now, like honestly, in Genesis, it is pretty much everybody's trying to adapt. Because these creatures are not like popping up one after another. Some of them are in right. remote locations. Some of them, a lot of these things don't even appear in like cities. Mm-hmm. Um, they're mostly discovered in like strange locales. Mm-hmm. And it's like when they event, because like honestly, they would probably avoid cities um, mm-hmm. because they're unknown. Like the only reason why Tyrannus goes into a city is because mm-hmm. Tyrannus actually consumes electricity as a defense mechanism. So he actually goes into cities to like pretty much go and eat power stations um, mm-hmm. to help recharge his electrical abilities. But like Stegros gets like pretty much told as a national park, a walking to move. It's becomes the first moving national park. And he spends most of his time like isolated from uh, civilization in the uh, in the in the southwest, and like Zots is a true threat because Zots goes into cities to hunt humans. But a lot of these things just like show up in rainforests or in the middle of the desert or in the ocean and attack mm. boats. And like people are slow, like people start kind of preparing. But this is also where a little bit of the conspiracy comes in. Is where like we find out that some people seem oddly prepared for this event. Um, right. And it only gets really serious when we get our first extraterrestrial AO, which is King Mantis, um, which is known as the Genesis event. But after that, like we get more monsters appearing and also these monsters do die. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like in the Godzilla films where they're just all over the place. Like when a monster dies, it's gone. Like it no longer exists. So the population kind of stays in one place. Um, And then, of course, when the aliens come, that's when a lot more monsters start appearing, um, which leads to the theory that maybe these AOs are like Earth's natural protection against extraterrestrial threats. Um, So it's like Earth's natural immune system. Yes, Um, which is why when the first uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters trailer came out i was sweating profusely um Mm -hmm. because i was just like this is what i wanted to do like even when they were like the titans and i was like 
That's what they're called because Apex is their newest name. This state series originally was called Titan Wars, and then it became yep, Titan. You told me, and I just me. sweated buckets because uh, I'm like, oh my god, like this is exactly what I. This is the that first trailer for King of the Monsters was like. This is the mood I want. Like this is the exact mood that I want mm-hmm. for this series, and now I'm just like, oh my god, have I waited too long uh, to release this thing? And it's like, I go to a lot of these new monster movies, not to like enjoy them, but to like watch them and be like, okay, they, they're not, they're not in my area. We're, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're fine. They have, they haven't gone full into this uh, Mm -hmm. concept or whatever. And I'm just like, whoo, no one's going to sue me for copying yet. Um, are there are there going to be any more callbacks to classic cryptids? Like I know you mentioned uh, the chupacabra, but I'm talking like fa- like more famous ones like Nessie. Um, it, they and will some be. Other. They some of them are touched upon. Some of them are not. Um, mm-hmm. I also go into a lot of mythology because mm-hmm. one of the reasons why the antiquity AOs are called antiquity is because mm-hmm. they start realizing like, oh, these are our myths. Like these creature, like the interactions of these mythological creatures are early humans interacting with the hollow world. Um, because think about it when you, where are your like mythological monsters usually in remote places near mountains mm-hmm. in caves? Uh, right. And that's like, that's, this is stuff that I have to like really nitpick and alter and just try and like figure out like, okay, is it possible that these things go up? And a lot of, you know, some of the monsters are like, I'm trying to think of some other cryptids that show up. I'm looking them up right now. Um, We actually do get like, I do have a monster that shows up in Exodus. That is the Hodag. Uh, Okay. uh, Cause it looks like it. Uh, explain to me now explain to me what the hodag is because i don't think i've heard of that one so have you ever heard of a fearsome critter aside from the movie no okay i'm talking about the movie critters no no so uh fearsome critters are the tall tale animals that like lumberjacks would tell people uh Mm. that they would see like things like the hide behind and the jackalope and oh okay and like the hodag is like a monster that's found in the Wisconsin swamps and it has horns and spikes uh, with like a, like a bulldog esque grin. Um, But like they find, you know, some of them are named just in tribute to that. Some of them actually are those representations. Like there are, like I go through so much mythology. I have all these books. I go into, I go into crazy stuff, man. And like, there are some that are, pay tribute like there's an ao i'm really proud of called marid and mm-hmm. marid is a arabian word for like a water genie because marid is a cradle isotope mutation of plankton in the red sea and this mutation becomes the sentient colony of plankton that can manipulate water to like to create a body for it to move around um hence why interesting yeah which and it has a genie thing but what's fun is like samples of marid are eventually collected 
And those samples actually help create other monsters. Like there will be one that appears in a lab in Japan called Yukibaba, which is based off the yokai, uh, which is a snow spirit. But this Mm -hmm. Marid plankton mutation controls snow. Um, And there's like one that will control moss and different kind of things. It sounds a little like Legion. Yeah. uh, To put it. But in a more in a context that folks can kind of picture in their heads, like in the giant monster community, it sounds a little like like your version. I'm not saying you're copying, but I'm yeah. just saying it sounds sounds like a version of le- what we would think of as Legion or something. Well, like it's it's super interesting because like a lot of these animals and creatures, I put a lot of work on trying to make sure that they look real and act real and that that mm-hmm. way them acting looking real affects how the characters will react to them. Mm. Cause like we have uh, an AO called Morris. He is a mm. elephant seal mutation from the cradle isotope. Morris mm. is big. He is a very big boy and elephant seals are already terrifying, but this is like, I think Mars has a length of like 60 meters uh, and he is just like almost impenetrable. Like he eventually does fight Tyrannus and Tyrannus has a very hard time battling this thing because like his blubber is pretty much like rubber proof and thick uh, and it's just terrifying. But when we first interact with Mars, the characters we meet are uh, Alaskan National Park Rangers because they're doing a patrol and they find a bunch of dead orcas on the beach, just with like bit with like some are bitten in half. Some have huge bite marks. Um, And then they have to interact. Like they have to try and solve this mystery of like what's killing the whales. And then all of a sudden Mars shows up in Homer, Alaska, just like eating boats. And it's just, you know, it's just these people living their normal lives. And then all of a sudden it's like, this seems different. And then boom, like giant monster shows up or these other creatures. Like we even find out why does uh, San Francisco to get a lot of earthquakes because of the, uh, the fault line true, but also the fault line is an entrance to the hollow earth, the hollow world. And uh, in this particular pocket of the hollow world, it is home to the Grillo, which are giant mm-hmm. mole crickets. Um, and they, they cause some problems, uh, just hundreds of mole crickets, just eating cars and breaking stuff. Uh, it sounds like you're pulling cause you're, you're, we're, we're talking about creatures now that we don't necessarily get in a giant monster film because they're not as glamorous as say a giant crocodile in rampage or a giant gorilla or, or what have you, but you're pulling from your experience from like biology and paleontology to create some pretty unique creatures. Yeah. I mean, I have a fire flamingo, not joking. What? Yeah. I have, uh, her name is Iris. Um, I will say she might be changing some of her designs, but Iris uh-huh. technically is able to flap feathers at a speed so much that the feathers ignite from the friction from the friction. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Because she's supposed to be like the inspiration for the Phoenix, and that's how that works. Um, like I, I really do go in if these creatures are because a lot of them are tooth and claw, but if they do have like crazy abilities, I really put a weird amount. Of, like guys, I said at the top of the show, I was like, oh man. I got to figure out Tyrannus poop. I'm going to look at penguin poop for a while because like marine birds like that. Cause that's what I'm going to have to think with Tyrannus. Like there are just so right. many creatures that I have to like look at and manipulate in a way where it like works. Right. Um, now let me ask you because we've talked about, cause you've talked about Tyrannus a lot and I know Tyrannus is your, that I'm a, it's safe to assume that Tyrannus is the anti-hero of this series, sort of the anti-hero monster similar, like to put it into context of what we're familiar with, like the Godzilla where he, he fills whatever role is needed. Sometimes he's the villain. Sometimes Tyrannus he's the hero. Probably is best what the, the personality of Tyrannus is probably best viewed in the sense of how Gamera is presented in Gamera three. Um, okay. I think just gotcha. like, you know, not real like Tyrannus doesn't give a flying hootenanny about humans, um, mm-hmm. but like will appear to natural threats and stuff. And a lot of monsters have that role too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tyrannus sticks to his territory usually, but you've got monsters like Griff, who is a uh, antiquity AO from New Zealand, who's a uh, a host eagle mutation that looks like a griffin um, interesting okay like, yeah because a, a griffin uh you know fun fact about myself griffin is one of my favorite mythological beasts yeah well uh, you'd love i, lo- I, lo- I love i love it griffin. when yeah i love it when uh i think harryhausen did a griffin i think maybe that he did a griffin but i like it when griffins show up in a movie or something yeah. i just find that creature design really fascinating. no and i mean if you know, if you have it handy on you, if you look at the field guide, Griff is one of the last entries. Like Griff is this wonderful Griff used to be a biped because I wanted him to be more of the inspiration for Garuda. Um but I was, you know, a lot of a lot of my designs are like tributes because sometimes I'm like trying to figure out a design and I'm like, oh, this is not working. And then I was watching uh Monster Hunter videos, and there's a monster in Monster Hunter called the Narcacuga which is kind of Griffin like, and it has, it's on four legs. And I just was like, I love how it moves. And I was like, you know, who moves like this Griff. And I was like, Oh, that would be so much fun. Because like, again, I want to break the archetype of bipedal monsters. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to stay away from like, this would be a little harder to do with a man in a suit. Like I want to make it more like when people see them, like, this is an animal. Um, so Griff and, you know, that's more Griff is more Griffin like, cause I really liked that design and I had more fun with it because like, like I said, the mythocyte alters an animal's DNA to unlock dormant DNA uh, and give it traits from its ancestors and stuff. So Griff, like I said, his base, base, uh, base DNA is a host eagle, which is the largest mm-hmm. eagle in New Zealand. But since they're dinosaurs, uh, one, the mutation allows Griff to have six limbs, but 
uh, the design starts to mirror that of like a Microraptor, which is a four winged dinosaur. Um, mm-hmm. So Griff has this like mixture of those traits and it's just really fun. Like it's just really fun to play with the DNA of some of these animals to create like there's another monster called Paisa um, based off the North American dragon, the Paisa in Illinois. And Paisa looks very dragon-like, but when they look at him and study him, they eventually realize that Paisa is actually a whale. Um, <laughs> because uh, he's based off like the ancestors of whales, mm-hmm. but developed a six-limb six limb gene. So instead of traditional wings, it's pretty much the flippers have grown huge to allow flight. Um, So that's just like really fun to play around with of just like trying to nitpick the DNA of an animal to make it look like how I want it to, but at the same time still being true to like the source material as one would say. Now, as far as the story goes, uh, like we're talking about the apex series as like the store, like the main story arc. Um, do we feel like there's, and I, I use this as a reference a lot, like sort of how the T-Rex in uh, Jurassic park is always the looming threat. Is there an apex organism in this story that is referenced? Like this is uh, like, you need to watch out for this thing. Like this, this creature is the creature that you don't want to F with. Right. Uh, Is there something like that? Like a looming threat throughout this series, like a antagonist monster or do they Zots is like that. Cause Zots is one of the few AOs that actually actively hunts humans. Um, because Zots is a predator, but also Zots is intelligent. And while he need his mutation has such a high metabolism, he needs to eat a lot. Um, so he's like, he's referred to as America's most wanted for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And when they think he's dead, there's like a sigh of relief. But when they find out that he's not, mm-hmm. it, they freak out. And it's crazy. Cause like he fights Tyrannus and like gets horribly like wrecked by Tyrannus and like thrown in the ocean. Like Tyrannus rips his arm off and breaks his legs and just all this kind of stuff. Um, but because of Zot's strange mutation, Zot's actually like regrows and re heals himself. Mm-hmm. But, and this is a new thing and I've been having so much fun with it because it just makes Zot such a more interesting and unique monster is now I've revealed that Z mutations, if they lose a limb, when the limb grows back, it grows back so that injury can't happen again. Interesting. So when we see Zots in wave two return, Zots has this like the the limb that was ripped off is has become larger and like armored to the point. So it'd be a lot harder to like get ripped off again. Um, right. Okay. You know, it's just adaptation to become more efficient. Um, and there are some animals that like, honestly, the biggest, so like at the moment, one of the big bads would be King Mantis, the first extraterrestrial AO, mostly mm-hmm. because uh, in Exodus, it's real that King Mantis came to earth because 
he is a god to the ultra terrestrials and planets that are chosen by king mantis are ones to be conquered um but the ultra terrestrials are shocked that civilization is still standing because they've not encountered a planet with other giant creatures like they have on their home world uh so king mantis was outmatched um and if it makes you feel, if it gets you excited, uh, the Genesis event where King Mantis shows up in Tokyo, um, Crash Lines of Tokyo, is the event where it showcases Tyrannus, Griff, and the Megazee. I'm sorry, that's his old name. The MGAV uh, unit fighting King Mantis uh, as he grows and adapts. But then we also get like creatures like, um, we get another alien monster. Uh, his name is Atrocity. Um, he's a, he's not like King Mantis. He's called a Subara, um, which is an alien organism that is, um, they're kind of like my love letter to Ultraman, but at the same time, they have a lot of like, their appearance is a mixture of Ultraman and like traditional angels. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So to make the, cause I mean, if you look at the, what an angel is supposed to look like it's a very alien looking thing. So that's where, uh, that's where the Subara come in, where they're a mixture of that. Um, we, uh, but like when the ultra terrestrials appear, we have looming threats like Chromaza, which are these, like this bioweapon, the ultra terrestrials use, which is like, it's like a mass. It's just this biological mass, um, with like three very large leech like heads. And they bite, like, when they're used, they infect other monsters and with their DNA. And if they have chromosome DNA in them, the ultra-terrestrials then can control those monsters. Um, right. And then we also have, like, the ultra-terrestrials uh, try and, like, create their own AOs to battle the Earth AOs. Um they do a lot of experiments on ter- they collect Tyrannus's DNA. So you get like ultra terrestrial hybrids of like Tyrannus and then they like make a Tyrannus King Mantis. And then there's a real big bad, which is half ultra terrestrial, half King Mantis and half Tyrannus. And her name is Tiamat. Um, okay. Yeah. She, and she appears at the Exodus event. She's, she's one hell of a threat. Um, but there is, and like Bakarok is a pretty dangerous threat as well, uh, just because of the drones, um, which are highly predatorial. Um, mm-hmm. Like it depend, it literally depends where you are in the world. Uh, honestly, are there are there any of these creatures, Henry, that um, that that we use sort of like how we use horses or dogs? Uh, like um, as pets or work animal, like work or work animals. I'm uh, still, I'm still kind of exploring that aspect um, just because they are wild animals. Um, some of these things will be used to benefit, um, but I don't know if pets, like I'm still, like I said, I'm still toying around with mm-hmm. that idea. Cause I don't know how far I want to go. I definitely mm-hmm. know that. Af- so after the, ultra terrestrial invasion and the earth is rebuilding itself. Um, Cradle becomes this like really powerful force 
and eventually, you know, spoilers, but Cradle becomes like the antagonistic force in right. the Revelation story arc. Um, sure. Because they reveal a lot more of their stuff and then they start using ultra terrestrial technology to create new monsters and control monsters because they see the potential of being able to use monsters as bioweapons. Um, some animals, you know, and then some people get used to like, you know, at first they think the mutations of the cradle isotope in the Pacific is a bad thing, but in fact, it actually like replenished uh, fish stocks. So now people have like, cause crate, the isotope is actually safe for humans because originally it was intended to create better crops. Right. Uh, okay. it, it, you know, people get it like a gluten thing, like a gluten intolerance. Like some people can't eat the isotope, but like, <laughs> you know, you get giant spiny lobsters and you get giant fish and, you know, some, I was going to ask you this random question, which of these AOs tastes the best? I, so <laughs> there is an AO <laughs> that appears in uh wave one during the Grillo attack. Cause like, that's uh -huh. the thing, like the MGAF units used for the first time and it's fighting these mole crickets. And they're like, all right, we've got this handle. Then all of a sudden out of San Francisco Bay comes Langusta, who is a uh -huh. giant spiny lobster. Um, but is also the first, uh, AO that is to be slain, uh, by the MGAV. Uh -huh. Um, but you know, now San Francisco has this giant dead lobster in its port. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. they use it to feed the, uh, the, the aftermath, the people who are homeless while they're trying to figure okay. things out. Cause they're like, it's going to go to waste. You know, right. it's safe to eat. It's a giant lobster. Like it's a 40 meter long monster, a uh, lobster. Like, come on. Like that would be dumb to not like take advantage of that, you know. Like that's you've not just solved the homeless problem in San Francisco. At that right, point. a lot of people start adapting to some of these creatures in a way where uh -huh. it's because I sit here being like, why has no one tried to eat Godzilla? Or like, you know, <laughs> like there are things where I sit here like, why is no one trying to eat these things? Because you know, uh, we. Would. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, after Godzilla got finished with Ebera. I mean, I'm not, I'm just, I, I'm probably not the only one that thinks that maybe it would have after, I don't know if, it, I don't know if it would have been edible after, after absorb, ab absorbing all that nuclear oh, radiation, yeah. but still yet a dead shrimp probably wouldn't be a bad idea. No, 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 no. Like it would be, you know, super yummy. Like there are some things that are like, there are things that become like a Logie, the uh the uh polychaete worm mongolian death worm they eventually find out because a logi has these like three stinger tails at the end of its body um mm -hmm. that are quite potent it's a it's a very powerful toxin but mm -hmm. they eventually find out that if you take a small enough dose it actually gets you high um so they eventually there there will be a story arc of going into the dark underworld of like uh AO the black black market the black black market where yeah where people yeah. are actually using some of these things to like as drugs or as weapons or as like illegal properties cuz the other thing is too mm -hmm. like 
another thing, just to keep going into this realm of how people would adapt, when, you know, as I mentioned, Morris is a giant, horrible elephant seal because they're terrifying. When Morris appears in San Francisco and disappears, he appears in a national park and Atlas is about to go and like finish the job. But then people mm-hmm. are like, that's a national park. And then people mm-hmm. are like, these animals, like, should we put these animals on the endangered species list? Like, this is a huge conversation that people start having of like, right. oh my God, they, they're they actually like endangered species. Like, you don't want to send them extinct. While some animals do, you know, it's it's all crazy stuff where like, you know, that little gray area that's never truly explored in these movies because they're like, Oh, we have to beat the monster. But it's like from a scientific or naturalist perspective, you're like, uh, did we just send a species to extinction? Like, you know how, and eventually they do make an expedition to the hollow world, uh, to try and figure out how that ecosystem works, but also to like, they do find out like new energy sources, new food sources, new, all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. and it's just very fascinating. Like genetics starts improving. It's like we start being able to like heal people properly and protect people and technology advances, um, because it has to keep up with these natural disasters. Um, and I'm just trying, and, and the reason I'm bringing all this up is because in my mind right now, as we're going, like I'm literally going through this conversation with you on the fly, just trying to get in my head, this world that you're building. Right. When we started this conversation, we were talking about like, what does a world where, uh, cause we started talking about love and monsters and we're just, and that kind of spurred into us talking about what a world full of monsters now looks like. How would humans adapt? How would we, how would we use the, the existence of these things to our benefit? Right. Because, you know, humans have a way of, uh, manipulating nature to our benefit or at least attempting to, yeah. uh, uh, for the good or bad, right? There are good aspects of that and bad aspects of that. And we just talked about that. Like, you know, the venom could be used to get high from, I mean, that's just depraved human behavior at that point. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to help the the person listening to this sort of get a picture like, in their head of what a, what a, what a world like this would look like. Like I said, we literally, like the last time I was interviewed for apex, it was a four hour YouTube interview. Like mm-hmm. it, this is a big thing like people are like oh you just started i'm like i have been working on this thing for over a decade there is nothing that's in my head that i cannot answer and like it's not like i can be like oh it's this no like i will tell you the interests of each of these monsters and their history and their roles and personalities that go into them like one of the monsters i'm so happy about is a creature called kamudi it's an orca with mythosite Mm -hmm. because they eventually find like a, a a hollow uh, world pocket in the Arctic. Yeah, um, I just saw. I was going through as you were as you were talking. I was looking at the field guide here, right. and I just saw that. So Kamudi uh, battles the monster Luska, which is a Z mutation mm-hmm. of a vampire squid, and those right. two monsters get locked in battle and disappear. And then later on, when they're trying to figure out ways to deter the monsters, um, one of Tyrannus's weaknesses is sound. Tyrannus can't do high frequencies. Um, And there is a reason for that. And I think maybe we should start going into why I started making this series the way I did. Um, 
but they use that device in Africa and it summons two monsters out of the Congo, which are also Congonese cryptids, uh, the Kongamoto and the uh, um, Amela Natuk, uh, which I have super fun with because uh, Natuk eventually is revealed to be an arsenal Ethereum, which is like a mm-hmm. giant rhino-like elephant thing, but it uses its horns to literally create like a sound barrier to protect itself. But yeah. that sa- that beacon actually summons Kamudi, but Kamudi is now changed because Kamudi ate Luska. Because I sat there being like, this sea mutation just ain't... Like, this antiquity creature just ate a Z-mutation. Z what would happen? Because Mythocyte is already a crazy genetic phenomenon. And then you've got Zotz's DNA now mixed into Luska. So eventually, uh, Kamudi goes through this horrible mutation and becomes Abyss, which is this, like, half Kamudi, half Luska, like, hybrid. Um mm-hmm. And that's a no-go. That's a big threat that they have to deal with, for sure. Um, but it's just like, you know, it's not... I'm not even looking at just how these people will interact with monsters, but how the monsters will interact with monsters. Because, like, yeah, some of this stuff will change their personalities or change their whole way of life. Like, Tyrannus right, and their, uh, and, their an- and, and their animals. So, you know, by, you know, animals need to eat sleep and yeah and and procreate so i mean you have to deal with those kind of aspects of nature as well for sure like you know there are there are so many aspects of things like when you know me going into the whole thing that aos are living ecosystems is because i'm like like for example tyrannus i know i keep bringing him up but i'm just because i'm just trying to avoid as many spoilers as i can and i can tell you're fine in the pilot Tyrannus has parasitic organisms on him. He has two types. He has an amobite, which are these Uh ammonite cephalopods that have become leech-like. And they have retained their shell because while they absorb nutrients from Tyrannus, they have their shell on the surface because it... uh, if they insulate themselves from when Tyrannus uses electricity because that's how he cleans himself in some regards. But then he also has another species of animal living him called Sparker, uh, Sparker shrimp or Sparker prawns or prawn sparkers, electrical okay. shrimp. They're electrical shrimp um, that generate their own electricity. And like, they like to eat amobites if they are not quick enough or they help pull that off and they eat the electricity. Like, and of course, like when in Singapore, after Tyrannus leaves, they find all these amobites and prawn, uh, sparker prawns, and um, they start eating them. Sparker prawn becomes like one of Singapore's like most famous dishes uh, in the series. Like Singapore is one of the first cities to do something called a- AO tourism, and it literally saves their economy because people want to go see the first place, the first places where monsters showed up. Um, interesting you know it's just you know not to sound awful but like that's what happened with 9-11 like people go see the 9-11 memorial all the time like it's become a tourist attraction I mean it's a very somber tourist attraction one could also say Hiroshima is a very somber tourist attraction but it is a tourist attraction people all over the world go there to see it so Singapore then gets this you know everybody's worried about Singapore's economy 
but it booms because people once people start normalizing these monsters, they start going to Singapore to see like Tyrannus's first steps and or like, you know, eat Sparker prawn because you can only get it in Singapore. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of um yeah it, as you were talking about that it kind of I got the I got the image of the um uh what is the Godzilla Memorial yeah. the Godzilla Memorial restaurant or something from 1984 yeah. 1985 return of you know what I'm t- talking from about some, when they're in that lounge and Oh that's like, right yeah yeah you're right you're right cuz it was after 84 85 yeah. is in Biolante correct uh, cuz they were talking about uh the Chimera during yeah. that conversation and uh, yeah, you're right. It was from Biolante, but that just made me think of that because you're right. You know, when a when an event like this happens, you know, that changes and all that alters history, uh, for better or for worse. You know, after some time, obviously, has gone by, we tend we as humans tend to cope by making memorials or attractions out of them. Yeah, right. And it's interesting because, like, you know, we could go on all day about the how environmental policies change because some of these mutations are caused from um, there's a subspecies of mutation AOs, which is called environmental change adaptations. And they're just creatures spawn from pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are like, we got to stop polluting the planet. So we don't keep making these monsters. Like, <laughs> you know, we got to make greener deals. It's just like right. all these things happen because of human hubris, but at the same time you start getting this really interesting, like I'm looking at my schedule, my my schedule, my listings right now, there's an AO, another extraterrestrial AO called killer Watt. Um, he's an electro sapien. Um, but what's funny is interesting. But what's funny is, um, cause Michael, you're, I'm taking this stab in the dark. You're a history buff more or less. Yeah. More or less, yeah. I I take a I take a really big interest in history. So yes. you know how in World War II, when Germany went into Russia and then they left. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yes. in the world of Apex, the reason why they went into Russia was not to try and conquer it; it was because they were trying to re- retrieve mm-hmm. their first satellite and keep it a secret. Because what in the story, Killerwatt is pretty much this like crystalline organism that uses electricity around its body and it crashed Mm. to earth and like Nazi scientists like created like a container for it Mm. and realized since it was from space that it could probably help their space program. So they launched into the space, but it malfunctioned and crashed into Russia. And that's why they went into Russia to retrieve it. So in apex at this time, it's been like four years since the AOs have appeared. Mm. So Atlas is starting to like explore places to like try and find these things before they show up. And they find this like old, like Nazi German science bunker. And they find, they think it's a computer. They think like, Holy crap. The Nazis like built a computer. And when they turn Mm. it on, killer Watt revives. And then, you know, sparks around and goes on his little adventures. Um, but it's just like all these things, like I try and, cause like I said, everybody's like, where have these monsters been the whole time? Like, why haven't we seen them? And I'm like, we have, but people have, you know, history is written by the winners 
and sometimes you miss stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you is I'm because I, I don't want you to spoil anything. Yeah. I don't want you to spoil anything, but um, I'm assuming you're writing even more events from history and explaining them through the vise of these monsters appearing. Correct. There is actually, if all this goes well, there will be mm-hmm. a apex prequel called mm-hmm. apex historia. And it is mm-hmm. actually about Tyrannus's growth from when he was a child mm-hmm. uh and that happened in the time of the phoenicians because it is okay. revealed eventually that tyrannus is the leviathan from biblical stories okay um and like they talk it will explore more of his lineage like more about his kind um because there were other like him he did have parents at one point um, in fact, like a little bit of a spoiler in that series, the main antagonist is actually his father, uh, which is named Kronos. But like, you know, I've always found it fun to like kind of explore the history. Like I do so much looking into history because I want to like nitpick weird events and be like monster, like that was actually yeah. an AO right. that like this earthquake right. or this natural disaster was actually this, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and also going into the cycle of like going into this natural cycle of the, that these things exist, that these things mm-hmm. are here. I mean, you know, when they find out that the hollow world exists, like that just shows that like, you know, it shows that hell existed technically because yeah. some places, some entrances are actually like areas where people lived and they call like, this is the demon's hole. Like demons come out of this because yeah. these insect like creatures from the darkness come out and just kill people because they're ravenous predators. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah. And you could do, and you could explore this in different ways too. Like events in, 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 uh, in history, like, and I don't know, I may cut this out, but I'm going to kind of explain this here, what I mean. And depending on how this part of it goes, will de- will depend on whether I leave it in or not. Yeah. Um, sort of like the Oklahoma City bombing, right? Mm-hmm. That tra- the, the tragedy that happened back in the 90s. Um, you could have it to where it wasn't actually someone like, like, like a, 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 a terrorist or someone who wants to go in like a, a homegrown terrorist or whatever that wants to go in and kill people. But it, it was actually an AO that they were trying to Contain. kill – they were trying to contain and uh, they just, it was successful, but they had to blame it on something. So yeah. unfortunately, no, that's what happened. I'm not to that extreme. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there are some historical things where I just kind of go like, this is why that happened. Like mm-hmm. the British coal mining disaster in Wales is probably okay, yeah. related to an AO event or okay. Like Cause that was famous that, that, yeah, that story was covered. If I don't know if you've, I don't know if our listeners, if you or the listeners out there have ever watched the show The Crown on Netflix. Lisa and I love that show. See, I have. And, see, my mom. I was living with my mom, as you know, earlier this summer. So I've watched the Crown. Right. I've watched the Crown. Okay. Yeah, uh, and they go into the coal mine disaster. Yeah. Uh, in that show too. So it's interesting that you're that you're not. Well, you're you are kind of rewriting history in a way to explain some of these creatures. And I think that is a really, I think it's, it's a, 
it's a trope of the genre, but I, I'm, I'm really confident you're going to be able to do it in a really interesting I, way. Yeah, because like whenever they do it, I feel like in previous attempts, they're just like, oh, yeah, all our myths are true. And I'm like, you can't you can't say all our myths are true. That's just a cop out. Like, right. You got to be a little bit more specific because like. And this might be a little off topic, but. What would be fun now? Let me hear me out. What would be really funny is if you hadn't already, like, you could say something like, um, um, yeah, this is true. This is true. Well, then Nessie's true. No, that's complete bullshit. Let's let Nessie's complete bullshit. Just like stuff that people actually, uh, uh, actually believe now is true. I do actually, I do. I do try and avoid that. Like where it's like, people are like, Oh, so obviously you have a lot Ness monster. AO. And I'm like, uh, n- mm. no, like I might mention that they've discovered an eel. That is the Loch Ness monster. Cause that's my current theory, but I'm not going to be like every, like not every, not everything has to be a giant monster. Some things can be other right. events, but like, right. you know, with the Mongolian death worm, because I talk about how like, Uh, a logie does actually had come in different sizes, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot, like one of the designs I sent to you that you loved, which was the hand deer, the Zots mutation, uh, Awani. Yes. You know, she's called Awani because Awani is the native American word for the deer woman. Um, Mm -hmm. but obviously like Awani, the AO did not exist when that myth was created. It was just named after that because, like, I always think of, like, how would the press do this? And someone would probably be like, isn't there, like, a Native American myth about a deer woman? Like, isn't this just, like, a killer deer that, like, eats people like that myth? It's like, oh, yeah, let's mm-hmm. just call it that. Like, I try and make sure that, like, if they're going to use cryptozoological names or mythological names that, like, they do it to make, like, I've shortened some names because it's like, oh, that that won't work. Um, Like that that's not going to sound good. <laughs> like that, that's too, like right. Amela Natuk, the Arsenal Ethereum AO. Obviously like mm-hmm. you can't be like Amela Natuk today. And it's like, no, you just say Natuk because it's just shorter and easier. People are, you know, people want it mm-hmm. easily packaged. Um, before, uh, before we, before we have to wrap this up, Henry, I need to, I want to ask you something and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too much, but is, do you have an excerpt from apex that maybe you can read for the listener just to give them a little taste of what kind of world you're trying to build here? I have a feeling you do, but I just wanted to ask. I can, um, here let's, let me pull it up. Cause I am actually doing that for you because we're going to be putting this in your little project. Aren't we bud? Uh, yes, we are. You want to talk about that while I pull it up? Uh, you talking about the magazine? Yes. I, you oh, know me. I'm no. not going to say its name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about you talking about uh, Giant Monster Ramen? Yeah, that one. That project. <laughs> Daikai Daikaiju Ramen? Yeah. Or what what is it? What is it that what is it Look, Travis named it? Kaiju Ramen. Uh, Why? What? <laughs> Just let me let me have my like. Look, I'm a very loving and like peaceful person, but I need like I can't be human and not have some form of biases that are absolutely unfounded ridiculousness. Um, no, I, I I personally love the name. It's you know I I fully encourage Travis just to run with the name because it is fun. Um, there's really not a whole lot to share about it right now. I think uh, right right now we've got a couple of people. 
um, writing some articles for us. You know, this, this conversation will be part of it. Maybe not uh, full length because uh, that would be the entire magazine. I have a feeling, uh, but just the high points yes. will be part of that. Will be part of the part of the magazine. It's going to be. We're going to highlight things like uh, we're going to have sort of an artist gallery, artist alley, whatever section we whatever we ended up naming it. Uh, we're going to have that in there, and we're going to hopefully we're going to get some of your artwork because I'm going through the field guide here as we're talking and just kind of uh, trying to follow along with all of these uh, amazing AOs that you're developing and. Also, that's uh, such a better name than Titan. I'm actually really proud of Apex Organism. <laughs> I just wanna just wanna point that out, put that out there. Like AOs sound like really that sounds legit, in my opinion. Like you know, right, yeah, but Titan sounds, but it's Titan is is catchier, catchy, but like but, now it's all over the place, and I just uh, right, I missed out. right, but so we're gonna have uh, obviously we're gonna have some artwork. I'll I'll include your artwork for that interview, but, um, not, like I said, not a whole lot to share right now. I think launch we're launching, we're, we're pushing for, I talked to Travis the other day, we're pushing for January or February of 2021 for issue number one. Um, it's going to be digital. It's not going to be print because that's sort of how I think just to, just to have a verified proof of concept, it has to be digital. Yeah just as sort of a low hanging, a low hanging fruit or uh, what is it? Uh, what would I, uh, what is it? My job calls it a uh, 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 least viable product or, or uh, I don't remember exactly, but like something the team that, leader of your job or anything. You should know these terms. I should know, but it's been a long, it's been a long day, man. Um, I, but just some, yeah. just something that where we can make sure the concept is going to work. And, Real quick, because I actually have a great excerpt that I'd love to read. It's one scene from the pilot um, that I think will sure. that sets the stage very well. Because it's not there's no dialogue in it. It's a lot of it's from the narrator of the Apex pilot. But I do also want to point out that like um, this series is one a love letter to the genre, but also the series is near and dear to my heart because every single one of these monsters and characters that we have talked about are based off people that I know. Um, mm-hmm. This entire series is in fact like a fantasized biography of my life. All these creatures, they were, my an- they were my answer in high school to figure out how socializing worked. Because um, okay. I just didn't connect with people. But when I turned them into monsters, mm-hmm. it made a lot more sense why people would have mm-hmm. disagreements and all that jazz. Yeah, I was going to ask you earlier today, and it just uh, it just slipped my mind. No worries. Um, when we were talking about the human characters, like how many of these human characters are, or how much, all. how many of these human characters, okay, almost are based all. off of real people. I actually, yeah. it's really funny. Uh, I called my friend up the other day, and I was like, "Hey, have you read the pilot yet?" And she went, "No." And I'm like, "You really should, because we're in it. We have we have." one of our conversations in this in this and she was like really and i told her about it and she was like that is hilarious and i'm like yep uh and like what's really funny is spoilers uh not spoilers but something i'm really excited about um and then i'll read this excerpt so at the time of the recording which is a wednesday on friday Mm. i'm actually doing my first read through of the pilot with the voice actors and it's for exciting. those who want to know, I do actually have a trans man voicing Rick. He's a great actor. Okay. 
is one of my favorite people on this planet. So it's going to be a really great cast. Like I, I'm actually really happy he said yes because he is exactly how I want Rick to be voiced and performed by. You're um, shooting for authenticity. Yes, I do not want to step on people's toes, and I always make sure. sure that if I'm writing something that's not in my wheelhouse of privilege, that I send it to someone who's going to be like, did I do this right? Because I don't want to just be like, hi, I'm a white guy, and I'm telling you how this works. But um, as many of my listeners on It Came From Monster Movies know, one of my favorite guests and best friends is Jeff, the squid guy. Jeff, oh, I've, yeah, I've heard I've heard you talk about Jeff the Squid Guy. Yeah, he was on our Venom episode. He's been a lot of episodes. There's actually a character that Rick sees in Singapore at the Singapore Mar- T- Tropical Marine Institute, named um, Archie, and Archie is Jeff um, Archibald Archie Good, and Jeff is actually going to be voicing Archie. Because um, I okay. was like, Jeff, are you? Can you just like? Because, like, I don't want anyone else to play Archie but Jeff. Because I'm like, it's just you, bud. It's just, you're obsessed with squids. You're a good friend. <laughs> like, but you're a good person, too. So mm-hmm. I just think that's really fun because I, you know, and I sit here being like, I'm making people monsters and stuff. Like, Michael, you might be getting a monster. It's definitely not like I keep asking you about your favorite myths and legends and animals or anything like that. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> but are, are you ready for this scene from uh, the script? I'm I'm very ready. I'm I'm just set. Go ahead and set the scene for us. All right. So this is uh the mid. This is the mid section of the pilot, uh, the scene, the Strait of Singapore, and this is strictly from the narrator. The sun had started to move towards the horizon, signaling the ancient skies that the clear blue day was soon going to shed those colors into one last radiant burst of tranquil flames before the night, and the speckled shimmering darkness, it brung. But as this force beyond anyone's control moves silently over the border of what is known as the Strait of Singapore, only the sound of an old gas power motor on a rickety old dinghy of a boat moved as its aged uh, pace back to its far off port. The two occupants, despite their large hats to give them shade in the shadeless blue desert, their skin was dark from the sun's exposure, and despite it being a desert on its surface, the sea spray salted their skin as the man and his son moved towards the ramshackle home of Barak on Bitan Island. While the Indonesian island was a popular tourist destination, the man, the father, due to his lack of education, struggled to make a living in the shadow of the island's sandy white beach resorts and lavish golf courses that eroded his home born poor lived poor and will most likely die poor it was a life he wanted his son who sat at the bow of the boat with that smile only children have when they see a horizon the smile that anything is possible and that the life he lived the only one he knew was the best the father smiled at his boy's optimism that coursed through the young seven-year-old's body but he turned to look at the cooler that was barely full Usually their fishing spot in the strait was enough to sell to tourists or small hotels to make lavish dishes, but the fishing of the past two days has been oddly vacant. They could barely afford two days of a catch like this, let alone the troubling anxiety that this could be longer than two days. Not only did they need the money to eat, but the father had started saving money. His wife died when his son was only three after they, and after that they struggled. The family helped where they could, but There was little family left in their home, and he didn't want his son to face the life he had now. Trapped on this boat to fish whenever they could and work odd jobs, 
that could at least pay for some bills and the food for his table. His son had a passion for the sea, like most of his family did. But while the father only knew the fish's names and the shape for the price, his son wanted to know more about them. Looking behind them quickly, the father knew in the distance was the shining, simmering city of Singapore. Singapore, a place he hoped that with enough money he could send his son there for an education. They still had a little ways away, but the tinge of his son's child's own youthful optimism coursed through their, his own veins. The hope that his son would break his family's ways of survival in this world and live a lifetime of pursuing his passions instead of constantly making sure to escape the dread of it, or if not, they will have dinner in the evening. His thoughts, though, snapped back into the present as he saw his son's cheerful, relaxed body tighten with uneasy curiosity as he pointed at the horizon. The man slowed the boat as his eyes adjusted to the horizon of the waters ahead and noticed that the waves ahead were not their normal cresting laps of sea foam on the usual tranquil waters. Silver slivers of light reflected off the scales of what looked like a large school of fish that were surging towards them. The father motioned the son to grab the nets and get ready to cast, which the boy had a natural talent for. Maybe their luck had changed, and a smile grew on the man's face as he hoped his son's as the hope of his son's future seemed to bask in the sunlight. In the moments the shoal of fish surrounded their boat, and with each release and pull back on the boat, brought in the flopping of fish desperate to escape the boat and return to the water. They were going to need more than a cooler, but this could make the next few months easy for them. His boy shouted and pointed again, and the father saw in wonder dolphins erupting out of the shoal of fish. But this is when confusion set in for the father. These dolphins were hunting, but they seemed erratic, more escaping than pursuing. Panic of being hunted instead of the joyful hunting he had seen these creatures perform in these waters. The boy pointed to the other side of the boat with a scream as they barely noticed the passing of a true monster for fishermen, a great white shark. The predatory behemoth of the sea, though, seemed to pay the boat no mind, as it, like the dolphins, seemed to be swimming away from something. The man called for the boy to come closer in the middle of the boat and away from the sides. There was something not right about what they were seeing. This sudden turn of luck felt more ominous than anything at this point. Another few moments passed and the sea returned to the calm it once was before. The boy turned to ask his father what had just happened, but the man could only shrug and continue to look to the horizon. He had never seen dolphins and a shark of that size come off as scared. He wondered if it was another boat, but the horizon was still empty. Or so he thought. What looked like a wave was moving towards them, and relatively fast. Something large was moving in their direction at and at first he thought it was a whale. But even then, whales don't make wakes that big. He turned off the engine and decided to play it safe and just let this large wave pass under them. Curious fears, though, seemed to be bubbling in him as well as his son. And as soon as the wave disappeared from view, the curiosity solidified into fear of the unknown of an event before them. The boy, clutching his father, asked what was going on, only to see his father shake his head again to mutter his own lack of understanding. The, boy, the boat suddenly started to rock as something was now beneath them. The father cautiously leaned over to look at the side of the boat to see if he could find anything under the water. Something was there. Something large was there. He almost thought maybe he didn't realize the current had taken them into the shallows, but it 
didn't look like seagrass, just dark brown blurs. He turned suddenly as his boy yelled in alarm as something had now crawled onto the boat. The father turned to see something that looked familiar, but at the same time was so unstartling unfamiliar, he didn't know what to make of it. It almost looked like some kind of shrimp, maybe even some kind of spiny lobster. But it was almost a cerulean blue with yellow markings writing on its side. Its antennae seemed to be to slightly glow neon purple in the similar fashion of the dimming neon signs of his local bar. In his whole life, the 40-year-old man had never seen a creature like this in these waters. But this startling cat-sized creature just sat at the bow of the boat, looking at them at the humans curiously before it turned its gaze at the fish. It chattered a bit as foam started to appear around its fuzzy mouth as it moved unafraid to the pile of fish. The boy yelled at the creature, which ignored him, and the father moved to kick the thing away. His boot landed a blow at the creature, which seemed to hiss and then suddenly crackle. The dim neon antenna started to glow brighter, and out of nowhere, a small zap of electricity coursed through the man's extended leg. He yelled in fear and surprise as the creature proceeded to go back towards the first. The fish. The boy grabbed one of the emergency paddles of the boat and used it to scoop the creature and fling it overboard. Again, it tried to use its peculiar ability to zap, but it couldn't in time as it returned back to the water. The father quickly yanked at the engine, trying to loudly sputter the machine back to life. They needed to get out of here. As he ripped the engine's cord to get the blasted thing to work, something louder started to rumble. The man and his son paused as they saw the water surrounding them was vibrating, tossing their boat in sudden waves. It was a gutturally noise, something he had never heard. The dreadful confusion continued when rising from the depths around them, truly alien spires rose calmly. The man had never seen anything like them. They looked like feathers, blue feathers that the water just slid off of as they seemed to fold around large pointed spikes. The father clutched his boy close as they were now in the shadows of these strange feathered towers that arched high above them. The man tried the motor again and again and again until the later afternoon sun was completely uh, no longer on them as another light started to glow. The man felt the air around him change as he looked to see his boy's hair, now visible as the hat fell to the side of the boat, started to rise. The water below them and the gray spires behind the feathers started to spark and shine in an almost pale greenish-yellow glow. Electricity seemed to spark around them, and before the man and son could react, they were gone. The sudden burst of electricity that erupted around the boat disintegrated the boat and its contents, and the charred debris, seared fish, and two lifeless dark bodies struggled to stay in the water. The creature below them didn't even know they existed. The noise disturbed it, and its instinct told it to show off a warning display of its own to the strange noise. They were a lot of strange noises in the water it once thought it knew. The last surge of electricity drained it, meaning it had to stay on the surface till it could get more electricity. It sensed, though, a large source of electricity in the distance. The animal would think that that much electricity, it would be a storm of epic proportions. Little would it realize what awaited for them was not a tempest, but powered temples built by the much smaller creatures. Bravo. Sound I'm I'm assuming this is the uh not maybe not the debut, but the uh the glimpse that we get at Tyrannus. Yes. Okay. 
Yeah, because I was looking at the, I was looking at your field guide as I, as you were reading, and I was just making sure uh, the way your description of the creature. Uh, I assume, I assumed rightly that it was Tyrannus. Yeah. Uh, I also okay. realize I have a lot of spelling errors. I gotta edit before my read through. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I don't hold punches because, like you know, yeah, it is sad what happens. You know, people right. might feel upset that like I introduced these characters only for them to be gone. But then you find mm-hmm. out that like Tyrannus thought it was another creature a- making a noise and he reacted mm-hmm. of how it would because electricity is a defense display at the end of right. the day. So it's not his fault that he can generate pretty much like a lightning strike between his feathers, his back feathers that literally just disintegrate the boat. But it does show like... You know, it just show like this very human, like I think, I mean, I would love to hear what you think in a moment, but like, I think it does this very, I want to capture humanity and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. oh, wow, there's a monster, <laughs> just something yeah. completely unknown that we don't understand. So how did you feel about it? I, as you were reading, um, it was in that short amount of time, I honestly kind of had a, had a shift of, uh, of emotions. Like, you know, I could picture this young boy and his, and his father going out on the boat, uh, desperate to make ends meet. You know, I could feel sort of what they are feeling, uh, what they're thinking about. And then just, I could, I could see the mental picture of, of confusion in their, in their, in their, like, uh, like I could, I could feel, like the hopefulness when they see these fish coming and then just sort of the, that light of hope just slowly dissipate when they realize that, that they're not in the middle of something that's here to bless them, but they're, they're about, they're about to encounter something that, that eventually does, uh, does harm them. It does kill them off. So, um, you know, bravo for setting the scene there. I think it's, I think you're, I think you're building a world that is, uh, is real. I want to say it's realistic. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a sugar coated whitewashed version of what a monster of, of what a world of monsters should be. I think what you're trying to build is something authentic to how, how how things possibly could be when if if something if an event like that was to take place yeah um do i believe monsters exist now i don't know it's something only time will tell us so. yeah it's you know it's just it's not like i delight in doing this harm but i have to think like if i'm gonna write this if i'm gonna write mm-hmm. these creatures as natural disasters a hurricane Mm-hmm. does not care who was lost no and that's like the really tragic thing and i like as awful as it sounds i feel like that's something that is missing in a lot of these movies and genres mm-hmm. and i want this to be realistic i want this to not just be something for fans of this genre but i want it to like i want it to include other people because i think mm-hmm. that's something that will save this genre is not to make it so niche, but to make it more accessible and not in the way of like the walking day dead makes zombies accessible or game of Thrones makes fantasy accessible, but in Mm -hmm. a way where you watch, you'll listen to this and 
think this is a real world. Like these are real people who like, I'm just thankful that I've had the ability to travel because I've seen this dynamic in so many places that are impoverished and they don't get enough recognition. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, and I think I'm with you right here. Like I wrote this thing, but I am, it is a powerful emotion knowing Mm -hmm. that this father who just wants his son to have a better life never gets to see it because fate, the, you know, the world doesn't care. And that's just the sad truth of things. And like, that's just the sad reality that this world's going to be facing is like, no one's really safe. Right. So, I mean, to be, to be honest, we always say like, there's shows like the walking dead that try to give the illusion that no one is safe. Yeah. Right. Where we know that's not necessarily true because of, you know, certain characters who shall remain nameless probably should have been killed off seasons ago Yeah, are still around, but because they're popular characters and, and because of <laughs> and contracts and ratings, um, they're still around. And I, I think what you're trying to build here is a world where, that is that is both the best way I know how to describe it right now is both brutal and beautiful at the same time. Yeah, because that that's what actually, Michael, I, I'm going to get a little emotional. That is exactly what I think I want to go for, because, you know, we we all sit here being like, oh, I wish Godzilla was real or I wish these monsters were real. But because no, they, they're beautiful. But yeah, but at the same time. It's terrifying. It, it, yeah. like we said, it not only would it change, like, not only could you just die in your building and not even know, but, and like, mm-hmm. not even be noticed by right. another living thing that's higher than you, but like, at the same time, like, everything would change politics, mm-hmm. religions, conversations, yeah. like, it's all gone. Like everything we know is gone. Like I sit here oddly being like COVID has been really helpful (laughs) with trying to see how people would react to a worldwide event. Um, And it's just, you know, it is what it is, but I think apex is the kick of the pants of originality that we need. And I'm looking forward to like, expanding this series. Like if the pilot goes well, we'll start a Kickstarter so I can afford to like, get more people involved and more things. Like I would love to give a, make the field guide an actual book. I think, yeah, I want a giant monster field guide. I want a giant monster nature documentary, you know, (laughs) right. I want that. Um, yeah. But if I'm, you know, I'm like a walking with dinosaurs, but with, but with like, you know, I've, my whole dream is like, if apex becomes the big magical thing, I want it to be. Cause like fun fact in high school, I was, almost in talks with Ron Howard to produce this damn thing. But I thought I had to go to college and it keeps me awake at night. Sometimes that choice, but it is what it is. Uh, but I will, well, I think I'm, you're going dis- to, I think you're going to discover that, um, that maybe the course that you're on Henry is probably going to be the best. Course I think because- well, that's what I've, I've been telling myself because this version of apex, this is the story yeah. I truly want to tell. Right. Um, but the thing is, like, I forgot what I was going to say. 
forgot what I was going to say. It was going to be really prolific. Um, That's the funny thing about uh, prolific, prolific thought. Ah, see, now I'm having trouble with words. Welcome to my world. It's, it's, yeah, I know. It's, it's the funny thing about having like really deep seated thoughts like that, that uh, they're gone. They're like, they come and go in such a, a quick instant. I just, that, yeah. That I, when I said the words like beauty, what be, uh, what I say, uh, beautiful and, and brutal at the same mm-hmm. time, I, I mean, I had to spit it out because I would have lost it. And, uh, and really, I think that's, that's the world you're trying to build here is just one that, that, <clears throat> like what would happen? Yeah. Like what, like what truly would happen? And I, and, um, I think, that it's necessary. I think something like this is, is needed. I agree with you. I think there is something that is very needed because, um, although I love myself, some Godzilla and I love Gamera and, and all the, and all the properties that we cherish, there is something I think in the back of every giant monster fans mind that, okay, we have this thing. It's been rehashed over and over. Okay. So where's the, where's the new thing? Like we it's want, all, we, or, it's all Easter eggs now. It's all fan yeah. service to something else. And I now realize like my dream for a nature documentary for apex would be the opening scene of like humpback whales in the ocean. David Attenborough talking about like them being the largest animals on the, were the largest animals on the planet. And then Tyrannus like comes up between the whales and swims with the whales. And then it's like the mm-hmm. wonderful world of apex, but it's just like, I think also what makes this happy makes me happy is like, I've had some people I've gotten feedback on the field guide and I actually get really relaxed when I find out people are like, like in the field guide, it's mentioned that Stegeros dies and the amount of feedback that I got when I'm like, people are like, I read the field guide. I'm really upset. Stegeros died. And I'm like, you haven't even seen him move yet. Like the fact that people are already getting upset that some of their favorite monsters are already gone. And the fact that people can say that they have favorite AOs already who have read, the, you know, if you're on Patreon, you can read the field guide. People have favorite AOs already. Um, and I just think that's absolutely wild that like these things haven't even like come to pass yet. And people already have like fan favorites. Um, and I just really hope like with Kaiju Ramen that, you know, with the audio drama and production and then hopefully sending you guys uh, short story versions of those scripts that we can really get like this original series out where people can have fan favorites and like become interactive with this product that, you know, I'm just crying over because it's my baby and it's finally like Tyrannus rising to the surface. Um, right. So before we before we get out of here, Henry, where can like give us a timeline, anything you can that would tell us like where where can we first of all where can we have access to all for to to the pilot and any subsequent any subsequent materials that you have on this field guide? What is the next few months for Apex going to look like? Um, just kind of go through and line all that out for so- us. So. Um, if you want to read the pilot, which I at, like tomorrow, I guess I just have to edit the damn thing because I have my read through mm-hmm. Friday and right. I realized, wow, there's a lot of errors in this and I need to fix them. ASAP. Um, yeah, I caught a couple myself, but yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's neither here nor there. We're here nor there. I got to edit it. It's fine. Um, 
my program has a terrible autocorrect feature for writing that script. <laughs> but um, you can all Apex uh, information is going to be on Patreon on the it came from last mm-hmm. movie Patreon at any right. level because I think it's worth it. I like if you have a dollar, sure. I'll I'll show you all the AOs. Um, I'm also in the works of doing something really cool for the read through. Um, and I should have that finalized. So I will definitely say if you want to see the pilot be made, I would really recommend checking out the Patreon. If I play everything out, you can get the mm-hmm. field guide on the Patreon. I will upload the scripts, to the Patreon. Um, you actually can listen to a, what will come to pass uh, apex Genesis reading on the, it came from monster movie uh, lineup that I released during Kaiju con earlier this year. Um, mm. I will most, I am debating on making a blog uh, for the thing, but also I'm now sitting here like with Kaiju ramen. Um, you most likely will be able to get apex information through that. So I definitely would recommend getting a subscription to that upcoming magazine that Travis and Michael, are putting efforts through too. Um, you can see my designs for the AOs also on Patreon. Um, there is a possibility that I will be able to put some of them on uh, my art Instagram, which is the H universes. So that's the underscore H underscore universes um, because apex is just one of like 28 different story concepts that I've burdened myself with because my brain doesn't shut up um with ideas but like yeah if you want something fresh and like i also say if you want a very detailed like guide into each of the monsters from the first wave of apex if you go to zimzilla's youtube channel uh i do a four-hour interview with him and we go through the field guide on that interview piece by piece and i give details about each and every one of these monsters um that are from the first wave. There'll be many waves of monsters, but like, I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> so I, yeah, you do. And I listened to some of that interview. I didn't, I wasn't able to listen to all of it, but I will make sure to find it and link it yeah. to the description of this episode so that people can go and listen to it. It's well worth uh, the time it takes to listen to, even if you can't watch, even if you don't necessarily have the time to watch all the visuals, just the conversation between uh, you and Nathan was really fun. And I just really here recommending like, you know, if you want to just get to the monsters, I think it's like an hour 48 is when we go into okay. the field guide as the special mm-hmm. bonus. Sure. Um, but yeah, sure. no, like Michael, I'm just so excited to have yeah. this platform because yeah, no, I'm just sad because like <laughs> Godzilla Singularity is coming out and I'm like, cool. You know, meanwhile, Monster Hunter trailer comes out. I'm like, I'm all for this because this is, this is the freshness that we need. Like <laughs> if we're going to adapt something, let's just have that crazy wackadoodle like concept and have the monsters look good. Like that's yeah, all and I, I want. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I tweeted out that, uh, you know, I don't come from a monster hunter background. I just see it as a fun giant monster yeah, movie. Like, I mean, it's I'm just, just so happy to see Rathalos because it's like, ha, huh, it's not Godzilla. It's not something I like, you know, I know the games, but it's just nice to see it like in a public space. Um, mm-hmm. and that's the thing where I just like, feel like we need that change to showcase not yeah. only our giant monsters, like we need to leave the realm of 
man in suit looking designs and go into the realm of like what Monster Hunter is doing, where you have these like ecosystems and the creatures like fight naturally or like, you know, everybody's like, oh, I want a monster ball. And I'm like, these animals would probably scream at each other for a while before they actually physically do combat. Um, you know, Tyrannus' electrical powers are all defensive. Like, he doesn't just shoot lightning, um, which I might be retweaking to because I hate myself and realize that maybe shooting it out of the mouth is not unique enough and might actually just be able to shoot electricity from his horn. But, you know, whatever. Like, this is all stuff in context. But it's just like, let's have fun. Let's go crazy. Let's go bananas. Let's nothing have nothing unturned. Like, and not mm-hmm. just do that with the creatures, but with the human characters as well. Like strong yeah. characters, likable characters. You know, we just listened to a poor fisherman with his son and I brutally murdered them, but you felt something for them before their un- untimely <laughs> demise. <laughs> I did. I did. I was having sort of uh, just flashbacks, just some, just some minor just thoughts popped into my head of, of my own, of some fishing trips I even took with my dad when, uh, when I was younger. So yeah, there I can. There are I, no small characters like I want you to feel a connection to each of these characters because like real people, real people matter. Um, Mm -hmm. And death is death. And like, you know, I don't want to say get ready for a lot of child death, but (laughs) get ready for a lot of people that you are not going to expect to face a horrible end. But that's the sad truth of it. This is a beautiful world of monsters, but it is a beautiful, it is a world of monsters. It's not going to be, it's not going to be easy. Um, yeah. You know, like I sit here being like Camp Cretaceous on Netflix is a, is a quote unquote kids Jurassic Park, but those children face some really harrowing ex- experiences. It was, a, it was definitely a sophisticated show. I was for, for what thoroughly it's... surprised about the body count in this kid's yeah. show. Um, quote unquote kid's show. And I sit here being like, if that's advertised for kids, if the Indominus Rex is horribly eating people in front of these kids, then I'm sure kids are still going to like Apex. Right. Yeah. So, so Henry, uh, where aside from Apex, for for all three people who don't know who you are by now, uh, yeah, I'm tell noticing them what you're doing with all three people. I'm sure uh, with with all three people that because I've been talking to a lot of folks that I feel like are fairly well known in the fandom so far. Now I have uh, I want to I'm I'm planning on highlighting some people that don't get noticed enough. I think uh, in the next in the few months in the next in the coming months. No, you have a great lineup uh, coming up. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope so. I, I hope I have a pretty diverse, uh, good lineup coming up so far. I'm going to be talking with, uh, I think my, after this one tomorrow, I'm going to be sitting down with, uh, uh, Frankie Washington, which is another comp, which is another fantastic artist and a super positive guy within this, within this yeah, community. I need and, to, uh, follow him. Cause I don't think I do. Uh, he's yeah, he's super fun, super fun. And, um, yeah, I mean, Henry, just plug all your stuff. Just where, where can people find you and listen to you rant about all the randomness? <laughs> Do you like you a two hour about? podcast? Well, I've got the show for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to, it came from a monster movie on any platform. You can listen to me 
with a variety, a menagerie of guests from all sorts of backgrounds, watch and talk about monster movies in a fun, well, I think it's fun, and most people tell me it's fun, fun, informative way of looking at these movies in, a way, in an unconventional way of really challenging fans and non-fans alike being like, were those characters really good or are you just lying to yourself? Like, what what are you really doing about it? I mean, I sit here, keep on quoting, like Michael will be released on a few episodes from our Patreon series where we'll be talking about the thing, but then Michael's episode of Clash of the Titans, you get to hear me pretty much be like, nipples! Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a crazy, <laughs> crazy podcast that goes all over the place, but we have a lot of fun. We support the community. You can follow us on all social media at Podcast. We actually have a T Public merch store that I'm currently not doing a really good job of curating, but I'm going to get better at it soon, um, where you can support the podcast, but also can support all the artists and content curators from around the world uh, who put who bring to life so many great designs of creatures and dinosaurs and monsters and everything in between. And then you also can um, do something else. There's another thing. I don't know. I'm sure I've talked about it on my own podcast. But yeah, just like, go listen to us. I hear we're funny, you know. Might not be for you're funny. But I hear we're funny. I, 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 you're. It's only funny when it's uh when it's me and other people yeah. riffing on you no, on you I for mean, two hours. I mean, actually, guys, if you're like, man, I really want to hear Henry be knocked down a peg. Go listen to it came from a monster movie because that is the whole thing of the show. It's just people being like, Henry, come on. Why are you defending the monolith monsters? But rocks. Space rocks. The movie, we gotta say something nice about this damn movie. I listened to that episode and yeah. Um just for the simple fact that it forced you to have to defend that movie. Uh, From my cousin who is a plasma scientist. <laughs> which, which one was it your cousin that was super not high on the movie at all? He was just like a one because it's stupid. No, my cousin uh, Abby, she is a plasma physicist. Um, right, I know that because I, I remember. I remember you telling she was a. a I thought she was a doctor, but I guess she's now. A, I I got that wrong. But your other cousin, uh, who was taking care of his chickens. Oh, that's not my cousin. That's Christopher Condy. Uh, uh-huh. Christopher Condy is an artist. I'm mm-hmm. really trying not to do what I do when I talk about Christopher Condy because he's a very talented young individual. And that's his compliment because he's allowed one from me every time I talk about him (laughs) because I'm trying to make him a strong man and not give him more than one because the rest of the time (laughs) I have to give him a little bit of a hard time. It's all for the good of you, Chris. He's not my cousin. He is just a young child that apparently follows me around at G-Fest and keeps wanting to be on my show and he's a good friend and I've helped him a lot. He's a good kid. I really suggest following his art at Christopher Condi uh, on Instagram. Really great artist. Mm. Okay person. He knows cooler people like me and Larry Quatch and his girlfriend, Mary Bear, you know, 
they're cooler people, but he's pretty fun to follow. He has chickens. So, uh, you know, it came from a monster movie. The only podcast I know of where you get to hear a man wrestle his chickens. And in one episode that's coming out soon, uh, you get to hear the first podcast to attempt to do an entire episode where the guest's mic broke. So we had to do charades, um, <laughs> which works great for an audio format. <laughs> So you all have that to look. That's the chaos. Like I'm writing Apex. It's a good story. I also host this thing <laughs> that's somehow popular and breaks new ground in podcasting. The only podcast oh, with man. charades. Fun fact. Oh, I love it. I love it. And you know, Henry, oh, and this uh, is the two parter, right? This is my. Is that, is that the read we're going? Ah. I don't know yet, honestly. It's it, we're we're two hour we're two hours and thirty seven minutes in. Um, I thought about breaking it up into two parts, but I'm just I, as we're talking here, I'm like, where can I put the halfway point? There's just so much information that Henry's sharing right now. Like, I don't know where to put the halfway well, point. So I, I don't trust know yet. you. This is your show. I trust you. Well, thank you. Not many people do, but thank I don't you. Know I appreciate why. that, Henry. Well, <laughs> you know. But uh, <laughs> as <laughs> as always, Henry, it's always a pleasure talking to you because it's it's always a lot of fun. And you know, I is, and I appreciate it. I needed this. I needed a good creative kick in the boot. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I have been for in a sure. creative rut of late. Right. Yeah, you know, Henry, or Henry, uh, 20, that I don't is know my why, name. Well, that is that is your name, but that is not what I'm going to say. Uh, Twenty twenty. I don't know why I got 2020 and Henry screwed up, but anyway, um, you know, it's been one big cluster so far. So, yeah. uh, I wanted, I wanted to give you a good signal boost and just make sure everyone knows about this awesome project known as apex, because it is, like you said, it is your baby yeah. and people deserve to know about it. And I'm really looking forward, uh, to it becoming a movie someday. Yeah. Uh, I will go see when it's in, in 20, in 2030, when it's a movie, I will go watch Man, it. Uh, maybe even sooner. Who knows? Maybe I'll pick up that Ron Howard connection again. Maybe, maybe so. Uh, so with that, as always, dear audio listener, thank you for hearing me and Henry ramble for the last two and a half hours. Um, we really appreciate you. As a, And please go follow Henry. He's a fantastic and person. And go follow Michael. He does good work, too. I'm really proud of being Michael's friend. Like, honestly, <laughs> 2020 has been. No, like, seriously, I'm going to humble brag that, like, 2020 sure. has been really rough. But, like. You know, as I was telling a mutual friend today, I've made some really good friends. And then Alex Cornette from Monsters vs. Men. <laughs> but, you know, Michael's great. We, we, we don't talk about Alex no, on No, no, he's a jerk. <laughs> Alex Alex doesn't like Zegra, so, like, that's why I have him. Anyway, Alex is a cool guy. It's not like he gave me the we camera don't talk about, Anyway, move, we don't what, talk what about I'm getting Alex. at, this isn't about Alex. This is about Michael. <laughs> Michael is honestly one of the best people I've met in this community. This podcast is a true delight because it's so nice to hear about the people and not, and pardon me for saying it as someone who hosts a show about movies, but it's so relaxing to hear a discussion in this community that is not about these damn Godzilla movies. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's just so relaxing to hear a conversation about 
how people go. Michael truly cares. He really asks good questions. I mean, not on my episodes because he and I just ramble and do inside jokes half the time. But he's one of the best people I have ever met. And I'm really lucky to have him as a friend and a companion worker, co-worker. I don't know what. A, a colleague. Colleague. That's the C word that I wanted to use. Not the other C word. But um, really great guy. Like, guys, I aspire to be the positivity that Michael is um, in this crazy time. Um, I'm really doing my best not to make a joke about some of our previous conversations. Really, really trying to not make that particular line of joke that you know I always do when we talk, but I'm I'm being professional and just saying Michael has some delightful beliefs and I'm all for it. He's still a good guy at the end of the day. Don't judge people by their covers and their backgrounds. Like, just have a talk and you'll meet people like Michael who will make you smile. There, we're oh, done. The I appreciate nipples, it. It's a mammal, not a cephalopod. Still keeps me up at night. Moving on. Michael, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, so until next time, dear audio listener, I'm Michael, I'm the Henry. Kaiju Groupie, signing off. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Groupie Podcast, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton using RedCircle.com. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to continue this conversation, please email me directly at kaijugroupiepod at gmail.com. Also, follow us on social media by joining the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, on Twitter at Kaiju Groupie Pod, and on Instagram at The Kaiju Groupie. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find your favorite giant monster podcasts. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the show. This will help spread the word to other Kaiju and Tokusatsu fans, and if you do, I promise I'll read your comments on the next episode. All film, audio clips, and graphics belong to their respective copyright holders with no infringement being intended or implied. So until next time, I'm Michael, the Kaiju Groupie, signing off. Yeah.